This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers.
is Dang. Boom. Is that working? Yes. Yes. I don't know why. Like all my sound settings got messed up for some reason. The computer needs a uh, <laughs> reset. What can I say? Um, just. It's got to help you up, boys. Always messing with me. Uh, I just wanted to do one more drop. Uh, wait for it. Wait for it. Where's he gone? Where, where, where have they gone? Um, oh, ANC report, there we go. Just drop that we're streaming in there. Got an ANC update today uh, when we get into the details. But uh, yeah, but as as my mic was uh, shut off, um, I'm... Are we getting all the... Rotten politics in the house, dude. I've got a section from uh, a little a little clip. I'm going to play uh, from you. Um, I think it's brilliant. And uh, so <laughs> good to see you in the house, brother. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to tell. Yeah. So the chat is the chat is mixing right on the screen. That's good. That's good. All right. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just to say I'm a proud proud owner of something called a geek vape um i'm sold i'm sold on it i've become a vaping a vaping convert uh no one no one dare no one dare put in the chat how it's bad for you in any way i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it um Hmm. I've, I think I've already gone through a tank in like an evening, but um, yeah, it's great fun. Um, let's see. So let's. Uh, what, what can we do? So I guess I guess I should just do do a little bit of commentary and tell you tell you what's coming up. I will be doing a stream tomorrow with Charles. We'll we'll be continuing um, what we were doing in the previous stream, which is just you know sort of break down the. Um, the the calumnies and uh, you know the, the stuff that uh, Jay is uh, how should we say pushing pushing the boundaries. Um, uh, let's see what's that. Sister Cruz says, "Fuck that shit." Tokyo cafes do not allow real smokers to go into a room with a coffee. Only vapors come. Dude, do you see people vaping in Japan? I don't think I've ever seen it. I've seen those little ikos things where it's like actual tobacco and it's got like a little electronic sort of heating device, but um, they've always tasted a bit yucky to me. Uh, but uh, this, this is the future, people. This is the future. Uh, yeah, I need, I need to fill it up, but... Um, yeah, what can, what can I say? Can I give it a quick review? Um, it's uh, a sort of metal casing, rubber handled, got a digital screen on the front, takes two pretty large batteries, um, smooth pull. Uh, I think I could have gone with some higher nicotine level, uh, but it's great fun. And uh, let's say I haven't dropped it yet. And um, 
I would. You know, I've been sitting here thinking, oh, I, I just need another one just so I can keep it in the car. So I can have one in the house, one in the car. <laughs> Blow some O's. No, I, I ain't that good. <laughs> those people. Those people that can puff rings and stuff, just... Uh, just uh, <laughs> How do they do that? I don't know. I like the colour. Yeah, I don't know. Like, they said it... I don't know what they called it, but I wanted just a black one, but it was this was the only one I could get. And um, if you're if you're thinking about uh, an, an, I don't think this would be an entry level vape because of the price. You could get some that was sort of a quarter of the price. I decided I'd rather lay out the cash, get something that's going to last me, and um, I'm. I've only had it a few hours, but I'm very, very satisfied with it. It's called, again, a Geek Vape um, and Large Tank. And, uh, yeah, um, what can I say? Very, very impressed. Uh, get a black one and use that for spare parts. Uh, Karma Doc in the house. Good to see you. All right. So, yeah, le later on um, tomorrow, I was supposed to do a stream with John Brisson earlier today. I put uh, I postponed it because I thought I was going to stream with Charles and I, I was speaking with Charles and we were just sort of pretty burnt out on the whole issue. We just want to finish uh, the the job, though. So we'll do that tomorrow morning. Um and yeah, what what else has been going on? Vapes, uh, dealing with uh, the usual nonsense. Obviously, my setup has gone crazy. Uh, are you doing adverts for vapes? <laughs> no, I'm just. I, I I was sold after my trip to the US. I've ne I've never vaped before, and I bought some disposable ones. And um, I should have just. I could have put that money and bought a um uh refillable one actually for the price of those disposable ones that i bought and um you know i, d I don't find it heavy on the lungs um it's it's meditative blowing uh smoke and it looks cool it looks cool even the kids love it <laughs> So, um, yeah, and today we're not going to... I'm just sort of covering um, stories of interest related around disease. One of the, uh, one of the four horsemen of the pandemics. I've got, uh, I've got a clip from Rotten Pollocks, po Pollocks, Politics I wanted to play as well because um, uh, I, I, it just sort of plays into where we're going and... Um, we're going to spend, we're going to do a deep dive into the interview between Robert Malone and Andrew Huff. And the reason that I want to do that is because I think that the two of those, because of the positions that they've held, um, they've worked within the bio defense sector, I would say. Um, I, I think there's... information that helps sketch in the picture that we're building and yeah i thought let's say i think it's worth going and so um we'll do that at the end so 
Uh, let's see. It's the Geek Vape. Yeah, it's a Geek Vape Zeus. Geek Vape Zeus. You can pick thousands of flavors. Yeah, this one, I just got mint. I like mint. So let's see. Tishbite is testing. Uh, good to see you. All right. So uh, let's get on to the uh, main uh, main screen. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Why? Why, why, why is that? <sighs> and now, for some reason, sources. That's odd. Someone just do. Now you need to know let's get the USP grade glycerine and propylene glycol, some nick flavors and mix your own juice. Yeah, I mean I'll I'll get into it for sure. For sure. Um Alright, so I don't think that's updating. Uh yeah, yeah, now it is. You have the vape version of Virginia Slims. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's not not man's one. Ah. Um covert beef enhancement. Well, this is the um it's the theme. It's the theme that we're locked into at the moment. Covert moral bio enhancement and uh they're weaponizing all manner of information feeds and <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Says men don't suck on purple things. Ah. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> Especially sparkly ones. <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? Right, I think. Um, I'm getting a repeat, right, of the things. So I think everything is going on there. So I hope, uh, well, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Camera off. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. I didn't want that. I wanted that. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> ah, it's like trying to fly the Starship Enterprise, this thing. It's just sweet for Marsh. Good to see you, bro. Hope you're well. <laughs> Hope you're warm. Uh, right. Uh, why is the Rumble chat so delayed? Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Again, I'm dependent on all these... Um, software integrations and things mixing together so look it is what it is <laughs> be grateful <laughs> be grateful that you've got something and uh good doggy in the chats as well all right so if you strolled in here and wondering who i am that is me i'm a real researcher you can go find my work uh plastered over the internet and uh now i uh form part of a <laughs> i don't know what it is 
just a small minority of scientists and doctors trying to reach out, <laughs> warn you, warn you that the public-private partnerships, <laughs> the corporate, the corporate government government predators are not your friends. And um, yeah, well, it's not a new message. But if you want to uh, bore yourself with uh, previous work that I've done that sort of helped establish my credentials to talk about this, um, you can uh, you can go to ResearchGate. I'll put the profile here if you're really, really interested. Uh, just for Marsh says, another day in paradise. Um, Marsh, I just... I just have the feeling that um, it's bloody freezing where you are. All right, moving on. Um, for some reason, the stream is not working on McCann Dojo. Again, <laughs> tax evading blicks. You get what you pay for. Uh, but uh, this, uh, this science podcast for the people, by the people... Uh, is uh, supported uh, by donations and uh, what I would do is ask that uh, if you want to continue to see this work you want to see um, cutting uh, analysis of the circumstances the uh, the individuals the organizations please please uh, throw a shekel or two my way you can of course become a patreon um, WTYL dot live tip jar if you want to throw a shekel um to the good doc uh, whilst he's streaming uh, there's also the stream fags gay pal buy me a coffee uh other links as well uh what i would say is join with discord um you have to use that link there we'll let you in and there is a register to be notified if you would like an email sent to you when i go live i do try to get that sent out and let's ask move uh swiftly on oh yeah so uh an, an announcement for uh we talk you listen um ryan dawson uh anti-neocon report will be streaming on the platform um he has a stream planned for tomorrow and uh he's put a bunch of other channels in as well he's already dropping content um, i'm looking forward to that and uh yeah i think it will be a, a significant move for the wtyl.live platform so uh yeah welcome aboard ryan all right so uh i wanted to get to this so you know we spend a lot of time talking about the core corporations and the uh the technocratic fascist future that they have in store for you and britain britain is streaking into the lead and i'm gonna let uh my good friend from politics tell you what's happening now uh in, in the uk and uh, this is coming to a town near you you can rest assured so uh rp sir take it away Hey everyone and welcome. We all warned them, didn't we? If the nation allows lockdowns, did they use them for everything? Warned everyone, our loved ones. Strangers in protest that were attacked and ignored. So we were blue in the face, didn't we? We were right. The core is watching and I can hold the tide. 
Now, this is a trial that's now happening, not a lockdown for the lurgy lurgy or the jibby jabby. Oh, no, 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 no. They've changed it now, and it, now it's a climate lockdown. Yes, you heard that right. Oxford City Councillors are to introduce trial climate lockdown in 2024. Now, this is as dystopian as you can imagine. Let's have a listen, shall we? Oxford City Council is going to trial a scheme whereby the residents of the city are divided into seven zones. Oxfordshire County Council yesterday approved plans to lock residents into one of six zones to save the planet. Are we getting sick of that phrase yet? From global warming. The latest stage in the 15-minute city agenda. Now, if you're not too sure what the 15-minute city agenda is, there is a clip at the end that will explain it a little, be- a little bit better. And if you're like me, it will creep you out to high heaven. But let's have a listen. Now, the 15-minute agenda is to place electronic gates on key roads in and out of the city, confining residents to their own neighbourhoods. Hunger Games, anyone? Split split off into segments? Under the new scheme, if residents want to leave their zone, they will need permission from the council, who gets to decide who is worthy of freedom and who isn't. Under the new scheme, residents will be allowed to leave their zone a maximum of 100 days per year. But in order to even gain this entry, residents will have to register their car details with the council, who will then track their movements via smart cameras around the city. China social credit, isn't it? Now, Oxford Mail reported this slapping the face by the highway councillor. Traffic filters will divide the city into 15-minute neighbourhoods, agrees highways councillor. 25th of October, roadblocks stopping most motorists from driving through Oxford city centre will divide the city into six 15-minute neighbourhoods, a county council travel chief has said. And he insisted the controversial plan, and here's the slap, would go ahead whether people liked it or not. It's not very democratic, that is it? Now, people can drive freely around their own neighbourhood and can apply for a permit to drive through the the filters and into other neighbourhoods for up to 100 days per year. This equates to an average of two days per week. Now, what I'd like to say, what about if you've got family that's in a different zone? You're only allowed to see them when they want you to on the day they want you to at the time they want you to? Two days a week? What happens if you've got ill family that you have to travel to look after? What about this sort of stuff? They never think about this, do they? What it'll be is they'll just give out permits willy-nilly, but charge you for the privilege. That's what this will be. It's always about money at the end of the day, isn't it? Even for councillors. Let's continue. And for all the chances as well out there, you know you're listening, and refusers who think there's angles and ways to evade this, etc. Don't think you can beat the system. They've thought of this as well. If you are a two-car household, say, they say that those two cars will be counted as one, meaning you will have to divide up the journeys between yourselves. So say there's a hundred journeys into a different district, it's per household. So if you've got two cars, you get 50 journeys each. If you've got three cars, 33.3 journeys each, etc, etc, etc. So you're only getting it per household. So you're not going to evade it by having multiple cars effectively. Now, let's have a listen to what a 15-minute city is. Now, this is the BBC. Let's have a listen to them gushing and drooling over the concept of Hunger Games UK, 15-minute dystopias. So we think about how many people can we get into the city in the morning and out of the city in the evening. Rather than travelling in from the suburbs to the centre to work, shop, socialise, 
The 15-minute city takes a different approach. The 15-minute city is a really simple concept in many ways. It's really just saying that every urban citizen should be able to meet their basic needs within a 15-minute walk or cycle ride from their house. The concept of the 15-minute city was proposed by French Colombian scientist Carlos Moreno, and aspects of it are starting to be adopted in cities like Paris, Barcelona, and Bogota. It's been described as a return to a local way of life. Forced, everyone, isn't it? It's all by force. That's not community. That's prison with bigger walls. Social credit is here, everyone. And it's a Labour, Lib Dem and Green Coalition doing it, the council. Time for another party that has our rights and interests at heart to rip the reins of power from the grasp of tyrants. Now, at this point, I'd like to remind people of your, un of your rights. I need you to understand this. Nobody in the UK, not police, not politicians, nobody can stop you moving freely within the UK if you've committed no crime. As a sovereign man or woman, you are free to travel anywhere, anytime. But I'd like to know your opinion, everyone. Let me know what you think. Please share this outbreak, YouTube's algorithm. <laughs> Stay sane and I'll see you on the next one. So uh, thank you, Rotten Politics, for uh, insight into what's coming for the future folks i want to think of uh, george soros telling us that uh, covid19 allowed them to put the control measures into place they battered you in or battened you in with uh, lockdowns and now they're going to continue and i've said this many many times before those smart cities you already live in them if you're in a city it's basically going to be a smart city. Now, they might build some shiny new ones, of course, but you connected to the fiber optic network in the city and you having cars, and particularly in the UK where they've got every type of camera watching the citizens, and it's been like that since the 80s. I remember the cameras going up, and <laughs> at the time I was just thinking, hey, we're not supposed to be doing this. Isn't that what they do over the, uh, over the Berlin Wall? But no, it's just uh, accelerated in pace, and I would say that probably the UK is one of the leading countries with respect to uh, civilian surveillance, and, yeah, uh, rotten politics is right when they're saying all, all they've done is basically build a prison around you and uh, <laughs> under the pretense of making community. And this should frighten the crap out of you, okay? Because this isn't going away. Um, what are some of the things Kev Baker notes about Glasgow? What exactly makes a smart city? Well, a lot, a lot of it is the surveillance and tracking uh, of uh, individuals as they move around. And the forced imposition of diktats of bureaucrats. Now, you know, as a remedy to that, uh, RP said it at the end. Uh, within the UK, you are essentially a free man on the land they cannot take those rights away from you the only time that they can is when you agree to engage in their statute and contract law and you're you're free to travel wherever it is that you like and i 
think I'm pretty sure that that applies to uh, vehicles as well. So long as you're not engaged in commercial activity, it's just classed as traveling. And so, yeah, if you've got to go and see relatives who are outside the 15 minute zone, as far as I understand it, that there are no laws that you would be breaking should you utilize your vehicle. Now, of course, if you if you do, you will get hounded by little little licks, little busybodies that will send you little bits of paper with demands and uh, send it back to them. Don't open it. Send it back to them because you were doing nothing illegal. That is the stand that you must take in in all these impositions that they're going to try and put onto you. And... Yeah, fuck these campers. Let's see. I.I. Gabriel says, here's a good debunk of the Guardian UK's main ESG climate shill. Who is that? George Monbiot? I can't stand that dude. Let me see. What is this? Yeah, it had to be Monbiot. (laughs) Oh, it's 38 minutes long. Uh, I'll have to watch it another time. But yeah, The Guardian is a cheerleader for the imposition of this um, digital prison that they're building around you. And it's coming. Whether, whether, Whether it's the vaccine passports... It's the uh, the imposition of you being uh, you not being allowed to travel outside of your uh, designated zone with your with your own private vehicle. <laughs> Monbiot of the Grunyad, yeah. <laughs> These people make me sick, man. Uh, Pedro Pedro says, "I mean, the doc with fellow." Borough boys, borough, borough boys, indeed. Um, let's see, RP says, yes, that's how I understand it too. Uh, with respect to being able to travel, yeah. Don't let these petty bureaucrats impinge onto your sovereign rights. Okay, and, and again, they will use all kinds of corporate trickery to have you come and stand under their uh their little statutes don't do it don't agree just say i'm traveling i'm on my way and uh you sir you sir are impeding impeding my right to travel along the uh the public highways um so skynet says suddenly all these new electric vehicles with ship range make sense yes yeah yeah and I'm look what 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 they'll do is they'll they'll basically begin to filter in the the driverless cars that you'll be able to come and hire and that they'll pick you up etc and they'll they'll just make it more and more inconvenient to use your car your your own private car that's what they want and it it, it will be a grim fucking hunger games future I mean, yeah, you you might have fast internet, but should you decide to actually switch the machine off and go out, uh, go out into the real world, <laughs> they're waiting to pounce on you. Don't let them. 
uh, okay. Right, so uh, that's that's the bit for uh, social commentary today. Let's um, let's get into. Um, shall I skip this? Uh, I'll, I'll quickly mention this. It, this is a paper. Um, I put it in the Discord earlier. I think it's worth reading. Published in the uh, British Medical Journal, which is basically just saying that the. It, the forced mandates of vaccination onto those who are at less risk, particularly those attending universities, etc. The risk far outweighs the benefits and they've done a um, yeah, yeah, risk assessment, risk benefit assessment. And um, we need to encourage uh, this type of research being published. As much as I think that that system is completely broken and I don't want anything to do with it, uh, those that still want to play that game and uh, push push out papers that push back uh, against what it is that the, uh, <laughs> the petty bureaucrats want to uh, stick into you or enforce onto you, uh, I applaud. So I encourage everyone to read that. It is a bit of um, good news. All right, so... Uh, what did I call this? Triple Demic. Triple Demic. Now, during the summer months, etc., I said that we we have to wait for the winter months to see if there's any carnage as a consequence of one um, forced vaccination, and two, of course, the um, the. I don't want to say lockdowns. I don't, I don't. I don't know how really strict lockdowns were. I didn't. I didn't experience it. We didn't have it here in Japan. Uh, schools stayed open except for the first month. I wasn't uh, impeded from going anywhere. There were no fifteen-minute zones around me. We weren't. <laughs> I wasn't forced to stand out my front door beating saucepans for the uh, nurses and doctors. No, there was none of that nonsense here. And the, um, but my prediction was that there's a, that potentially we could see a uh, a ramping up of uh, infectious disease. Now there there could be many many reasons for this, and you know two two that spring to mind are. Is there a long-term impact on the immune system from being forced to take vaccinations? And you have to remember, um, it wasn't one or two, it's <laughs> multiple boosters on top. And there's evidence that would just seem to indicate that uh, your innate immune system takes a hit. And this may be... The data that we're going to look at now may be an indicator of that. And what we're seeing is opportunistic infections begin to emerge because people's immune system has taken a hit. Now, I will caveat that statement with the, with the idea that potentially the same could come from exposure to SARS. Now... Again, I don't I don't think we really have the data to be definitive either way. I think a lot of suspicion should be pointed at the transfection 
the gene transfection technologies. Um, but we also still have circulating pathogens as well. And so the first uh, clip that I want to look at um, flu and uh, flu ho flu hospitalizations reach a decade high. Flu hospitalizations across the country and the Commonwealth are on the rise. Doctors are concerned hospitals could soon become overwhelmed. Sarah Wilson joins us in the studio with more. Sarah. Taylor, health experts say we've already exceeded the peak of past five. I miss the days when you would just get hot. Hot chicks on TV. Oh, bring, bring back the 80s and the 90s. What the fuck am I looking at there? What is that? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Where is it? No, 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 no. Bring back the hotties, not the fatties. Get them off the screen. It offends me. Flu seasons, and now there is concern that as we officially enter, the winter cases are only going to go up. After a two-year hiatus during the pandemic, flu season is back in full force. If you look at the graph, it kind of it briefly slowed down and it shot way up this week. Cases in the Commonwealth already surpassing peaks from previous seasons. It is now early December, and flu season doesn't peak until January or February. Nearly 50,000 confirmed infections have been reported across the state, about 12% of them here in the mid-state. It's not just cases that are up. Hospitalizations are too. The type of flu that's circulating is called H3N2, and it usually causes three or four times more deaths than every other strain of the flu. Why the strain is more dangerous, doctors don't exactly know. But health experts emphasize this season's case count is so high for a number of reasons. We have a lot of people who, because of masking and social distancing, weren't really exposed to the flu the last two seasons and have less pre-existing immunity. On top of that, flu vaccines are down. I think there's a combination of, of vaccine hesitancy. And I think there's vaccine fatigue. I frankly think that... Oh, we've got some real intel on the ground. Uh, Doc saying she's not admitted anyone with flu. Um, Karma, what about uh, COVID? How can they dis differentiate COVID from flu? <laughs> In this case, they're using PCR testing. Okay. Uh <laughs> people are tired of getting shots. But that outlook has experts concerned cases will only climb. What I fear is that it's going to go up, stay up, go down slowly. That fear prompting this plea as UPMC beds fill up. We don't want to see it get worse, which is one of the reasons we keep telling. We try to make it as clear as poss possible that you should get your flu shot. Armadoc is saying about 30% COVID and 70% flu. Uh, in Texas. Well, I've got I've got a story from Texas to look. Oh, look at that thing on the screen. Jesus. No, 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 no. 
Even though it is December, it's still not too late to get your flu shot. Doctors say if you do it now, you'll have protection in about two weeks. Taylor? And of course, the push for the vaccines. Um, all right, I don't know where that is. Uh, it might have been Canada, I think. But uh, let's see. Um, respiratory syncytial viruses are surging. And or uh, <laughs> chimpanzee coryza virus. But is the shot relevant for this strain? Um, I don't know. <laughs> don't fix this fat Angie doing the news now. <laughs> oh, touche, bro. <laughs> Uh, Mount Sinai, so this is New York, I guess. For a parent, there is nothing scarier than watching a young child struggle to breathe. Unfortunately, many people here in our area and all across the country have endured just that, which has put a strain on them and doctors. Thousands and thousands and thousands of New York families. Senator Chuck Schumer is talking about respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. He says RSV hospital admissions among children have jumped 49% this year compared to last. Schumer was joined yesterday by a doctor who knows about the spike all too well. I've been practicing for almost 40 years. We have never seen an RSV surge like we are having over these past few weeks. This chart shows the dramatic increase in cases among New York City residents from the week ending on September 17th to the week ending on November 12th. Cases fell a bit in the week ending November 19th. Schumer called on the Department of Health and Human Services to develop a plan to help New York hospitals that are straining under the caseloads. Ten simple letters. That's why I am telling HHS to address RSV ASAP. This help from the feds, Schumer says, could take the form of additional staffing. RSV symptoms include runny nose, sneezing, coughing, and shortness of breath. While the virus looks like the common cold, it can be especially dangerous for the young and old. Typically, we would see it less than two years of age. Now we're seeing it a little older as well. And, and what we're seeing is a lot of cases are coming to the emergency room. Again, I, I would have to ask how many of these children received COVID vaccinations? That's a question that needs answering. Sorry, it's just, it's got to be part of the epidemiological analysis. Because kids are pretty sick. Couple that with COVID and flu cases and you have high... Um, who said that? They've tried RSV vax before. Yeah, I don't. Th I don't think there's a functional RSV vax. And but Moderna, of course, is saying that they're lining up a <laughs> gene, a gene transfection technique. Color me not surprised. <laughs> Nick in the chat. How you doing, bro? Hospitals that are struggling to treat everyone that needs it. And here's another scary thought: the problem may very well get worse before it gets better. We're not. Well, look, I, I've got a question f for Nick. Um, you've. Uh, does this look similar to the emergence of HIV? Are these opportunistic infections as a consequence of? 
damage done to people's immune systems? If you could answer in the chat. Um, oh, you can call in if you want. I don't mind. Um, if you've got if you've got an opinion, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Karma says for the most part the kids five and under I've seen with RSV were not vaxxed. Uh, yeah, is that not Texas though? What about New York? This is in New York. So, is there scientific literature out there on vaccines messing with the immune system? Jay posits the theory that they activate T cells non specifically and not regulated back to normal state. Um, well, th there's. Well, there's no there's no vaccine for RSV, and the only change in the vaccine schedule that I could think of would be the introduction of the COVID shots, and you know. There, there seems to be a signal that T cells become exhausted. There's potential of interaction with spike protein and T cells potentially make them dysfunctional. I, I don't know. But again, I, I would just preface this with what I was saying at the beginning, which is, are we going to see carnage during this winter season? And how much of it is down to SARS and the medical countermeasures for SARS? Um, <laughs> Karma says, can't speak for New York. Fuck those guys. Yeah. Fuck these gaffers! I agree. <laughs> Even at the peak in terms of the number of respiratory virus cases. The child says RSV certainly is opportunistic. There is no vaccine for it, and anyone to come close killed lots of kids in the late sixties. Yeah, um, the vaccine caused ADE. The original <laughs> chimpanzee Carrie's vaccine. Uh, vaccine, yeah. Uh, Cecil says there seems to be a shift in the West about acceptance of the myocarditis evidence. Yeah, I, look, <laughs> it's only. There's only so much you can ignore bef before it sort of bleeds through into the uh, the public's consciousness. And young men getting myocarditis after um, exposure to vaccines, it's a thing. We know it. And so, you know, at least on Rumble we're allowed to talk about it. Uh, I guess is they're testing much, much more for RSV. Yeah, but wouldn't wouldn't that be the consequence of patients turning up, right? I mean, it's not it's not like they're doing mass screenings like they were with COVID. So I'm I'm going to make the presumption that these are real cases turning up in hospitals. Uh, we never used to test anyone but little kids for RSV. Mm. Uh, now there's a combined PCR test. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. That usually happens late December up through mid-January. 
and one person who has been dealing with the state's RSV response is the state health commissioner, Dr. Mary Bassett. And on Friday, she announced that she is resigning effective on New Year's <laughs> Day. Bassett says she will be returning to the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. <laughs> she sees what a shit show is. She's out of there. <laughs> It's all about making money. Uh, uh, wouldn't surprise me. Um, all right. So uh, Texas is having issues as well from what uh, from this report. Well, I've been in private practice here for 21 years, and it's, I would say, the busiest year I've seen. If it feels like there's something going around right now, it's because there is. Dr. Catherine Frank's pediatric office in McKinney is getting so many calls, their lines are jammed each morning. Things have been extremely busy and hectic here. At Cook Children's in Fort Worth, Dr. Laura Romano says they check in a patient every two minutes. Now nobody's wearing a mask anymore. So we're getting a lot more people who maybe haven't been exposed to RSV or the flu for the past two seasons. The Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council says in the past week, flu hospitalizations have gone up 30%. And COVID hospitalizations are up 70%. Ooh. Pediatric hospitals are now 99% full. Please keep your kids home if they're sick. Teach them to cough into their elbows and sneeze into their hands and then wash their hands immediately afterwards. Fort Worth ISD is no longer immediately requiring a doctor's note if kids are sick. Dallas ISD says it's not at that point yet. Frank and Romano both believe another reason cases are so high is fewer vaccinations if we can than get years Nick past. On, Some vaccine hesitancy in. because of COVID vaccines spilled over into the flu vaccine, which like logically doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Frank says to call your pediatrician for treatment questions and that ER trips should be reserved for persistent or severe symptoms like trouble breathing. Fever is in some ways beneficial. It's the body trying to fight whatever infection is there and to not let the actual temperature scare them. She's optimistic we're nearing the peak. With hospitals and doctor's offices nearing capacity, any more increases could be overwhelming. In Dallas, I'm William Joy. Um... So, uh, did I have another one? Oh, yeah, Bay Area, COVID cases rising. Um, those vaccines work in a tree. No sound. Family healthy. And tonight, Kobe, work in building a better Bay Area is focusing on what it takes to keep hey, you and your family morning. healthy. Ah, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Uh, must be must be a terrible time for you. What time is it? Uh, it's eight thirty-five in the morning. Oh, okay. Says <laughs> I'm, I'm at work, but I I saw the stream, so I wanted to weigh in. Mm. So yeah, so you had a question about opportunistic infections. Yes, yes. Yeah, this is precisely what was happening. Um, from, a, from a PR perspective, nobody was dying of AIDS at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They were dying of cancer. They were dying of pneumonia. They were dying of uh, toxo, they, you know, some strange exotic infection from their pet. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was the public perception. And then once everybody understood that there was a communicable agent, um, they started, you know, laying, laying the blame. But biologically, um, this is what I've been trying to remain calm about because it seems like uh, not as not as necessarily targeted or virulent 
as some of the deaths that I saw in the 80s. Um, I mean, it, well, I mean, <laughs> turbo cancer. I, you know, that's that's something that seems pretty similar. Yeah, what, um, what, and... what a word! What a word! Turbo cancer. <laughs> The fact that they did a George Orwell with it and turned it into a new contraction, that's, mm. um, that, that's to me, that's just part of the predictive programming. You know, saying, we're going to see a whole lot of people whose, um, you know, P53 gene has been downregulated. They have no innate defense against cancer. The cancer they had five years ago is going to come roaring back or all of those oncogenic pathogens that they've got in their bodies that have been sitting there quietly for some time are going to suddenly take center stage you know i think that's why they say turbo cancer like it's a new thing um it isn't it's called rapid immune surrender to cancer you know that's it's if if we have downregulated b memory cells we have a downregulated uh, p53 gene uh, and we're all from you know from environmental exposures um vaccines sexual contacts just through our lives we you know our pets we collect this big farm of endogenous uh, viruses and retroviruses that for the most part our body is able to keep in check so this is this seems very similar to what we were seeing in the early 80s and well i i guess i guess the question is is it temporary or is is this a is this the new normal and um you know that like i say we we're, we're waiting for the signals and well, in your opinion, you, you think this would sort of fit the picture of uh, a sort of immune suppressive effect at a population level? Well, it's immune dysregulation right now. So um, I I'm definitely here. I am, Kevin, all these years later and I never got HIV. And um, I, I, I navigated the era of the of the Peter Duesbergs, which I know personally accounted for the deaths of more people. I mean, I know people who gave up their fight against safe sex as soon as Duesberg came along. And, you know, it's not a direct analogy to to sort of what we need to do to take care of ourselves. But coming back to is this, you know, what's our what's our long term outlook? I am. I'm, I'm going to remain fiercely, uh, you know, defiant that it's that it's not reversible um i'm going to continue to explore this space with people like karma doc and others who are um as much as we're trying not to um get overwhelmed with the doom and gloom we're leaning hard into um, what are all of the therapies you know what are what are things that we might find in the literature very simple solutions from 20 years ago 30 years ago um, of something that was experimented on on coronaviruses in the lab somewhere in those 6000 coronavirus papers i've got in my zotero you know i'm still digging so i i think i think the point is your body is now making if it's if it is um, long term persistent, you've got to assume that your body is still producing a protein that the rest of your immune system recognizes as a threat. 
So the tissues in your body that are still involved in spike production are going to be the target of your own autoimmune syndrome. We know that autoimmune syndromes and, and persistent inflammation are pivotal in the cancer paradigm. So um, I've, I've heard some excellent, excellent spaces. I listened to um, a uh, someone on Twitter, Apothecarol. She's a frontline RN in, in Texas. So she has to walk a very careful line with what she says in her spaces. But she's talked about just committing to essentially an ongoing um, anti-inflammatory diet. That's a tonic step that we can all take. We can all look at what causes inflammation when we eat it and what's going to only exacerbate inflammation in the brain, in the heart, in the sexual organs. Well, we sorry, but you know, wherever wherever there's a tissue tropism for the spike, you know, we want to think about how how systemically can we um, help the body reach, you know, come back to a, a point of homeostasis. Um how much do you think is you know i i struggle with the premise that uh it, it's lockdowns and masks that have caused this um susceptibility um I, it, it's a difficult one for me to pull out a coherent physiological pathophysiological mechanism cuz look people can be isolated all the time right well and they get ill as soon as they well take a trip to the city that's that's not how it works um so yeah i, I guess the point i'm trying to get to is is that th this does strike me as unusual and it's it's not just the uh, it's not just the u.s um i had uh So this is data from Germany on the screen mm -hmm. and um, the red line, the thick red line is 2022 compared to other years. And um, I think it's just respiratory um, illnesses in general. They've mm. all been grouped together, but um, mm. that's so outside the range that they've seen in previous years that again well, that the a few a few days from school has caused this I, I struggle i struggle to think that and what we do know is is that um germany is a uh, high high vax country in the last two years and yeah, to me, this this signal is concerning, and you know, I don't I don't want to start ringing panic buttons just yet, but uh, like I say, I've been waiting for us to sort of roll into this season, and it's shocking to see such uh, such large increases, and I don't know. Can, can you convince me that it's uh, from lockdowns and people wearing masks the last couple of years? Um, not at all, because, <clears throat> you know, what we've done, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be intensely empirical about this. There's, there's nothing different in the behaviors of staying home 
day after day than there is staying home on a Saturday and Sunday. There is nothing different about your environment, your behaviors, your exposures, your, you know, they're, they're, you can go across the board. There's, there's, there's no change. Now, the skin problems on the face, you know, the persistent and aggressive staffs that, uh, you know, getting mask face, that's a direct cause and effect. Hello, you know, we, we can we can swab what's inside the body and swab what's growing on the skin and say there's the correlation right there. Um, but these uh, this emergence of uh, first of all, there's two there's two fronts here. One is, yes, it sounds like we're seeing, you know, it looks like we're seeing a, a dangerous signal. And let's come back to that. The other is the underlying challenge of getting accurate and real data from any source at this point in time. Um, from the point of who is actually classifying the disorder, you know, when, when, when the procedure, when the billable encounter is done and, you know, the doctor or the nurse is saying this was a RSV test or this was a pneumonia checkup, whatever that procedure code is, that's what rolls into the chart data that you were just sharing. And if it's, um, if it's complex, if someone comes in and they're presenting two or three things, you know that that will sometimes shift what appears in the data. So, you know, and also with the open question still of were many different types of disorders being classified as COVID because of a financial incentive? I, I think we've seen enough anecdotal reports and some written evidence about this, that that's something that we need to take into consideration in the immediate term when it comes to where are we getting our data about disease trends um, that's the it doesn't I know that doesn't make any of this easier to untangle but I want us to be suspicious of the data just underlying you know double check your data double check your source but coming back to um, the changes in physiology and the changes in presentation of disease, I think it ties right back into uh, what we see across the board, across different conditions presenting. First time acute psychiatric presentation. You'd think, why, why did that happen? Why it must have been so awful being, you know, being uh, in your home playing PlayStation and watching everything on Netflix. No. There was there was nothing there was nothing clinical about that that was that's going to put a new pathogen into your body. But we can go to the RSV and flu vaccine study paper that I pulled uh, in you know in my big uh, my, you know my big collection, and it's got a study of ten years in New York of watching people who receive the flu vaccine. And then the correlating wave of RSV pneumonia presentation and pneumonia deaths. And wouldn't you know, every year in the data, shortly following the big push for influenza vaccines in New York, there was a correlating wave of pneumonia and deaths. Yeah, and then come to find out, you know, if they're growing it on Vero cells or at some point in production, there's a there's a primate cell um, solution, you know, anything in the production process, you can be contaminating your product with RSV because it's a chimpanzee based pathogen. Yeah, Sorry, please, you. no, I was just going to ask you to sort of uh, in case we've got new people listening. Uh, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of history about uh, respiratory virus? 
um, there, there was an excellent, uh, I'm, I'll try to go back and find it. There's an excellent conversation with RFK Jr. and a couple of uh, doctors, I think within the last week, talking about um, RSV and, uh, and revealing some more information I didn't know. But regardless, um, the important thing to know if you're not, if you, you've, you're seeing RSV, RSV in the news today, this slots into several different diseases that are now endemic. They're, they're part and parcel to human public health as the result of the use of contaminated materials in the production of human medicines. What do we mean by that? Uh, in the mid-50s, uh, at least the, the paper that really caught my eye was a batch of children had received an experimental vaccine. And many of them began presenting an, ag an aggressive pneumonia afterwards. And the researchers determined that the materials that they had used, for those of you that, that don't speak virology and vaccinology, this is called substrate, the cells, think of, think of dirt you put in a pot when you're growing a flower. Um, the substrate was contaminated and it was made from chimpanzee kidneys or a monkey kidney. And they pulverize it and they, they, they do some filtering steps. They think that they get it cleaned out to a, a base group of cells upon which they can grow concentrated amounts of the virus they're trying to protect you from. So they, they use it as soil, and then the virus are all of the seeds. And then they let that concentration grow up. They think that they are isolating the concentrated virus from the substrate, but along with the substrate, uh, comes all kinds of passenger, what are called non-target pathogens, things we didn't want in, in the formula. So that's kind of the source story of chimpanzee Coriza agent, which is what they called it when they found it. And very quickly, they said, oh, we, <laughs> we can't call this chimpanzee Coriza agent because that's going to draw unnecessary attention to our practices in medicine. Let's call it respiratory syncytial virus. And that's what RSV has been called since. Such, such a disturbing anecdote, man. <laughs> well, SV40, RSV, you can recover from. SV40 is a much bigger risk to human health. And they just swept it under the rug by saying, oh, you know, we don't want to tell the public that, you know, there's some problems in pharmacology. We're just going to pretend that it's not a problem. And in the meantime, they built the cancer care industry in the background to catch all of those new um, emerging cases of cancer that were a side effect of SV40 triggering cancer in the vaccine recipient. You know, that's, that's, that's still with us today. Both of those are, are passengers from this era. So. So, I mean, if you had to give it a percentage, how much do you think is this down to the COVID vaccinations? Um, well, I, you know, so a couple of things. When, when I was a little kid, you know, I, I, I heard about HIV AIDS. They didn't even call it that at the time. They called it GRID, Gay Related Immune Deficiency Syndrome. And um, I had a growing sense of doom and hopelessness, as did a great number of people. Um, and soon it became quite clear 
that this was a bullet that, that we could all dodge if we would modify our behaviors, if we, would, if we would buckle down and fight against the compulsion of testosterone, which is, an, which is a thing, um, we, we might stand a chance. And we did. You know, a lot of us survived. A lot of us walked right through that fire and said, no, this, you know, I'm not going to cave into group behavior. I'm not going to um, participate in... Um, you know, promiscuity the way that people were practicing it in the 70s. It's just not going to work. It's a different situation. So it comes down to Darwinism. Those of us who adapted survived. And there's those of us in today's fight that are going to survive. You know, RS, RSV, SV40 aside, coming back to COVID, um, I think what we're going to find out about shedding in a real serious and we'll say quantitative way is going to be important. And I think what we find out about immune dysregulation beyond what we know today is going to be directly linked to your question, Kevin. We're going to we're going to find all, you know, very, very soon we're going to see in the major journals the clear mechanisms because it seems like there's a coming out party with being able to actually question you know, the narrative and major, you know, more and more major channels are still, um, you know, coming out with with good pieces. They're not hard hitting. They're not expose journalism, but they're at least they're asking the question. They're not sweeping it under the rug. And at the same time, you go to their next segment and there's an advert for the vaccines. Right. So it's going to be it's going to be a mixed bag. OK, well, um, we can but wait and see. Right. This is. Like I said, I've, I've, I've been waiting for this data to sort of come in. I know the UK is the same, and also they're, they're reporting uh, very aggressive, um, what's it called? Strep. Strep from. Mm -hmm. And um, they've already sort of blasted past the number of deaths that they would expect from um, out-of-control uh, strep. And, you know, that's one thing for me that ah, that seems such an easy thing to to treat and um you know what why why is it getting out of control i don't i don't think that they don't have the antibiotics to hand so again i'm i'm forced to look at or or entertain the hypothesis that something has changed within the physiology of in this case, children that have been affected, and what's what's the difference with these kids? Uh, well, tell me how many how many people were really dying of COVID when they were saying how many people were dying? Can uh, you can you quantify that? I can't. I don't have any means to check their math. Well, it's a tough question. I, I, all, all I can say is that there was excess death, right? Yes. Um, and there's a number of factors that come into this. And uh, one is the disease. One is the medical treatment that was, or, or the changes to medical treatment that were initiated as part of the public health guidelines. There was the iatrogenic sort of, consequences of those diktats and um 
yeah, I think it, it well, short of going back and um, autopsying all of those excess deaths, I don't think we'll ever know. Um, That's right. That's right. And so my point is, with obfuscation of reporting, with unreliable uh, data on actual numbers, I would unfortunately remind you that the RSV message has a product right behind it. So I'm sorry, but I don't trust what's coming out from the press about RSV. Mm -hmm. And your comment about where are all of our conventional pre-mRNA therapeutics, they're still there and they're still available. Mm. And I doubt that any parent is going to let a child slip into a serious, you know, start presenting pneumonia, which is much different than a sniffle, um, and not do something about it and just sit around and, you know, clutch their pearls. I, I don't I don't trust that. So this message about this sudden relentless creeping doom of new RSV in kids has got to be directly correlated to a push to get children to take a new injection. Yep. That's, that's where I look. I just look to, you know, oh, you know, stimulus response. We don't even have to go to the Ouroboros model or talk about the Hegelian dialectic. It's just stimulus response. They're, they're trying to scare people to get them to take something. It's the same mechanisms that have been used to get people hungry to buy their food products, to get them feeling, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be sexy, so I'll buy that car. It's just media manipulation. It's just marketing. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, I, I have no doubt that um, those that think they've got a new product in the pipeline would be rubbing their hands at this sort of reporting. Um, but I, I still think that there's um, there's something unusual. There's yeah, an, this is an unusual uh, volume, and yeah. I agree. Yeah. There, something has changed in their physiology, and it's being the message about it. In my opinion, is being exacerbated by folks that want to position parents to to get yet another product. And that. Well, we know that they want to do um, the gene transfection as a flu vaccine, RSV. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm conscious of this, and you know, it, but that brings to mind that uh, you know, was there an understanding that mass rollout of COVID vaccinations would lead to this to open more markets in this fashion? Um, I mean that that's really dark. <laughs> it it is, and um, and here's the deal. I feel you resisting it, and I'll tell you, I like that about you. I like that your heart and mind don't just naturally um, open up to these really really horrible possibilities. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to hurt that heart and mind by showing you the empirical evidence that this isn't an idea, a concept, or a whim. It isn't a conspiracy theory from QAnon. It's something that predates any of this technology or our ability to communicate like this globally. It's been around for a long time, and it, it ties to specific approaches, which include vaccinology. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I think maybe getting Spartacus and you and I together on a discussion sometime soon yeah. might be good. It's going to be a black pill. But let's not wave our fingers in the air. Let's go to the source material. Let's see how much of it we can thread together, which might demonstrate that it's a narrative, that it's a long-term actual operation versus just someone's, you know, pipe dream about reducing the planetary population. Mm. Um, and let's see, let's see um, how practical we can get that data to tie into WEF or anything like that. Let's, let's get our heads together. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all for it, bro. Um, okay. Well, you know, the, no doubt this data is going to evolve rapidly. So, um, I, I imagine within days we'll have uh, more answers. So, um, whenever, whenever you're free, dude. Okay. Well, we'll we'll kick it around in the bunker and and we'll we'll uh, nail something down. Um, I've got to go. I've got uh, I've got a work meeting to jump to. But thanks again for having me this morning. And uh, hey, raccoons, have a good Tuesday. Thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure, bro. All right. I think uh, Nick is out of here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cecil says, Houstonic called it out earliest in my memory that they would roll out mRNA idea of propaganda for all things. Yeah, and look, we know we know that the Moderna pipeline is looking at all these um, disease uh, funding pathways, I guess. Funding opportunity, not funding, uh, commercial opportunities. Um, but that that would imply that they've had or, or, or they had some sort of prior knowledge or understanding that the last two years would lead to this new state that they they would be in a position to be able to sort of roll out uh these next next products so 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 dark ah. all right um, I worked in NICU PEDS respiratory disease and adults. I put people on ventilators, successfully took them off. Medical science has been corrupted. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, let's see. Mark says the next generation of RSV vaccine from Pfizer <laughs> is for pregnant women and women of childbearing age and causes a permanent genetic modification of the unborn child. Oh, damn. <laughs> just gets darker and darker thank you mark <laughs> uh i someone says please get a nick sparkus kev stream asap yeah um I'll, I'll try to make it happen uh let's see bill says met platforms oversight board recommended on tuesday that the company revamp its system exempting high profile users from its rules saying the practice privilege the powerful and allow business interests to influence content decisions i don't know what that means um Let's see a link from Mark. Open, please. Pfizer, Moderna, J and J see respiratory virus RSV as vaccine target. Doses could be given to pregnant women to protect newborns if large studies validate shots this year. What? <laughs> Holy shit. 
After COVID-19, vaccine makers' next big target is the respiratory virus that kills up to 500 children a year nationwide and has been among the leading causes of U.S. hospitalizations for decades. Uh, chimpanzee Carrizo virus, or agent, infects nearly everyone at some point, causing mild, cold-like symptoms for most people, but it can lead to serious health problems such as difficulty breathing and pneumonia for infants and older adults. The virus has for decades eluded efforts to develop a vaccine, including a major setback in the 60s when an experimental shot harmed some children in testing. RSV is one of the last remaining childhood diseases without an approved vaccine. Now several drug makers, yada yada yada, um... Are testing shots that infectious disease specialists say show promise at safely preventing RSV disease. Initial development of these vaccines predate the current pandemic, but the rapid success <laughs> in finding effective COVID-19 vaccines has energized the RSV effort, according to analysts. If large studies underway in tens of thousands of subjects validate safety and effectiveness, Pfizer, J&J, GlaxoSmithKline say they plan to file for regulatory approval later this year. That could lead to one or more of these shots becoming available next year, according to companies and analysts. Um, that's a long article. Um, here, it's a link to the Google Drive if people want to read the full document. Um, yeah, um, it, it seems a very, very wretched, <laughs> wretched business, <laughs> these vaccines. All right, uh, quickly catch up with the chat. I don't trust just about anything anymore. Yeah, I hear you. Can't trust any data that you don't collect yourself. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree. You have to have a jaundiced eye looking at this data and um, <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, how much how much is part of the corporate push? It's a it is a factor, but um, the question was, you know, has <laughs> has the success of the COVID nineteen vaccines um, led to a uh, how should we say some some acquired immune syndrome? Let's hope it's just temporary. Uh, let's say I did that one, did that one. Hey, now a change of tack, folks. Uh, as we're not on Rumble, we can have uh, time for. We've got some shahids uh, that we can uh, celebrate. So let's uh, let's see what we've got. Uh, an actual shahid uh, in Jordan. Jordanian bodybuilder Alatora died of severe heart attack. May God have mercy on him and forgive him. He was the captain of the club in which I was training. We belong to Allah, Allah Akbar. And to him we shall return. Pray for mercy and forgiveness. He was a classy and decent person. And he prayed for us in the group at the club. Um, yeah. <laughs> he looks uh, just like the kind of person that would have a heart attack. We salute that Shahid for sequestering his carbon. Setting an example. We all should be following. Uh, this one is great. It's a bit old, but... Uh, I wasn't playing it because of YouTube, but prominent virologist Dr. A. Aveta Fuller, who advocated for emergency use authorization of free COVID vaccines, has uh, sequestered her carbon suddenly from a brief 
unknown illness. Let's have a listen. We've also learned this evening that Dr. Ovita Fuller has died. She's the internationally renowned virologist from Ann Arbor who was instrumental in securing the emergency use authorizations for the three COVID vaccines. Dr. Fuller passed away yesterday morning after a brief illness that was not COVID related. Akbar. We've also learned this evening that Dr. Uh, we salute that Shahid. <laughs> bravely sequestering her carbon doing what you haven't done so that the wef can continue to eat their juicy steaks uh there we see what other shahids do we have next death of boy 14 three weeks after covid jab of significant public concern says the coroner uh, i believe this might have been uh in ireland um, a little while ago but um yeah 40 years old that's the type of sheets that's that's up there with the uh, ayatollahs sending uh, the young boys with their little plastic figurines to clear the minefields <laughs> we salute we salute that young man what a shade what do we have next uh dr kevin pineda passed away at the age of 29 uh, proudly proudly showing his uh, pfizer vaccination card i can't imagine why he would have passed away, but we salute this Shahid as well. Praise Allah that uh, he stepped into the breach when you haven't. Uh, another young, we're not sure about this, but um, died suddenly. So sequestered the carbon anyway, doing a bit to make sure that the WEF managed to keep their private jets flying whilst you have to take public transport. We have one more, I think. 43-year-old Air Force vet Oris Caulfield died suddenly from an aggressive rare cancer after two Pfizer shots. He leaves behind four kids and his wife, Jennifer. We can only hope that his family step up as well, sequester their carbon. Those we're under population pressure. And we salute them. We salute the Shaheeds. Uh, let's see, what did I have next? Now, um, this is sort of going along the same lines. So, Chris Whitty warns Britain faces prolonged period of excess deaths not caused by COVID due to collateral effects of lockdown. And in this particular article, I'm not going to go into it in depth, but they're talking about increased cancers, um, increased uh, cardiac events and uh, those are signals that we're seeing um, I say globally but uh, in countries that are well I would say should be giving us somewhat accurate data and again the question has to be asked is it just lockdowns is it just uh, missing appointments at the doctor what is the contribution of um, well, the vaccines as a, a precipitating factor in the continued excess death that we're seeing. All right, so uh, Shahid's aside and uh, <laughs> blaming blaming excess deaths on the lockdowns now, uh, we're going to get into uh, Andrew Huff. Um, it's, this is not any sort of uh, analysis into his or anything this is uh, please if you want to 
have a how should we say a deep investigation go see mark who's tonic live uh if you want a deep dive uh, into andrew huff i'm gonna state the position at the moment that as far as i'm concerned uh he's one of the few people um <laughs> directly linked to the networks that well uh, i think is a way to uh, help collapse the whole of this system and all the time that he's speaking out um i'm i'm gonna use that uh how should we say fire downrange to move in on the target and in response to uh andrew um being uh, well he's doing <laughs> eco health eco health with the griff links they don't fucking stop. <laughs> Hundreds of millions of DOD dollars, and uh, there they are with uh, grifflinks on their page. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> but anyway, uh, EcoHealth Alliance have put out a, I guess, is it a press release or a statement? So, EcoHealth Alliance statement regarding book by Andrew Huff. Andrew Huff, a former employee of the EcoHealth Alliance, has published a book entitled The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History. According to press reports, Mr. Huff claims that the COVID-19 pandemic was the result of a lab leak from research conducted by the uh, with basically uh, in collaboration with the EcoHealth Alliance. Mr. Huff is entitled to his own opinions, but not his own facts. The actual truth about Wuhan is Mr. Huff was employed by EcoHealth Alliance from 2014 to 2016. However, reports that he worked at or with the Wuhan Institute of Virology during that time are untrue. He was assigned to a completely different project working on computer-based algorithms to assess emerging diseases. Mr. Huff alleges that EcoHealth Alliance was engaged in gain-of-function research to create SARS cov 2 this is not true oh contraire eco health <laughs> i think we have you banged to rights with the diffuse document mr huff makes a number of other speculations and allegations about the nature of the collaboration between eco health alliance and the wuhan institute of virology Give, given that he never worked at or with the wuhan institute of virology his assertions along these lines cannot be trusted mr huff claims that sars cov 2 emerged as a lab leak from the wuhan institute of virology based on research conducted there on back coronaviruses and further that this research was related to u.s intelligence gathering efforts this is not true please please don't look at our relationships to department of defense don't do it Dr. Francis Collins, then director of the U.S. National Institutes of Health, issued the following statement on October 20th, 2021. NIH wants to set the record straight on NIH-supported research to understand naturally occurring back coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, funding for a sub-award from NIH grantee EcoHealth Alliance. Analysis of public genomic data and other documents from the grantee demonstrate the naturally occurring back coronavirus use studied under the NIH grant are genetically far distant from SARS-CoV-2 could not possibly have caused the COVID-19 pandemic. Any claims to the contrary are demonstrably false. Um, again, <laughs> I would just put put that in the context of uh, the diffuse and uh, the words of Peter Dazak saying that they've got hundreds, hundreds of uh, samples that they wanted to test and put in furing cleavage sites. And again, uh, let me tell you, any any scientific proposal that's been submitted, uh, much of the work, or at least the first couple of years, has been done, and uh, you're you're always looking to uh, springboard ahead to make sure that you've got money. So um, I don't 
I'm not so sure about that statement from EcoHealth there. The scientific evidence today indicates that the virus is likely the result of viral evolution in nature. No, I don't buy that. Potentially jumping directly to humans or through... An, uh, what are they going to link to here? <laughs> Misinformation. <laughs> oh, dear. Historically, many viruses have emerged from animals to cause epidemics and pandemics, including influenza, Ebola, Zika, West Nile f fever, SARS, and more. Importantly, after an intensive investigation, agencies in the U.S. intelligence community agreed the virus was not developed as a biological weapon, and most agencies assessed that SARS-CoV-2 most likely was not genetically engineered. <laughs> oh, we've got an uphill struggle, folks. I hope you're listening to this, Charles. <laughs> Mr. Huff argues that the origin of COVID-19 is definitely due to a lab leak, yet he provides no scientific evidence to support his case. To the contrary, the emerging consensus based on peer-reviewed scientific studies uh, is that evidence is that COVID-19 originated through zoonotic spillover. Substantial published scientific evidence indicates that COVID-19 originated via a similar pathway to SARS, involving a spillover from bats to immediate animal host. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, we've heard it. <laughs> We've heard it all before, and uh, I'm not buying it. Sorry. Sorry, where's my uh, guilty button? <laughs> guilty. 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 All right, so uh, that brings us to the uh, the final part of this stream, which is this uh, interview between Robert Malone and uh, <laughs> $25 million, Robert Malone and uh, Andrew Huff. And like I say, I I'm going to play it because and sit here and make some commentary because I think there are some interesting insights into the... Uh, the, the scientific infrastructure that was in place geared towards biowarfare research. And I'm of very strongly of the opinion that that's what we're dealing with. And anyone, anyone who can give us insight into this, um, I think uh, at, at least deserves to be listened to. And the simple fact is, is that Robert Malone and Andrew Huff did work directly with these institutes. So I think it worth listening to uh, this uh, this interview. Um, I begin here. EcoHealth's Predict Partners programs. Whilst this starts, I'm going to uh, just take a quick break. Metabiota, which has a checkered pass. If you go searching oh. Metabiota. Uh... <laughs> Wait. Metabiota. I might just, I might just uh, hold off on the uh, wee break there just to listen to about Metabiota. <laughs> what a scumbag. Uh, what a scumbag organization. Directly linked to uh, Epstein. Uh, Nathan Wolf uh, led that organization, and they were in a, a number of uh, – disputes with foreign countries over insurance they were, they were going to provide or informing insurance policies based on their pandemic pr prediction models, as I recall. Very strange. Um, I think I saved one of my friends who said that you want to go work at Metabiota, and I told him that, you know, you don't want to do that uh, while I was working at EcoHealth. But so we, we had these three organizations, and even though that UC Davis was the prime, each organization was always fighting with the other organizations for who could have the most countries. So they're all fighting for control of the, of the program. 
And the strange thing is to say control of the money. Control um, the money. Yes. So UC UC Davis School of Vet Med was the prime contractor, and you were a subcontractor in this. Is that right? Technically, but it, it was never treated that way. And Dr. Dasik made it a priority for us to do really well at the time so we could have more of the pie, so to speak, which, which makes sense. What didn't make sense either retrospectively or when I was involved was that there was there were sort of frenemies, all the different organizations. So we had to, to share genetic data or other data that were being collected and put into collective databases. What is very strange was I felt like EcoHealth, at least as far as I could tell, was the only one that was collecting intelligence for potentially the agency, I guess. But that doesn't mean that... that uh, Metabiota was too busy uh, collecting uh, young girls. <laughs> That's reality, because I, I, it's hard for me to believe that, that a bunch of academics at UC Davis can be sucked into the intelligence collection activity. And if you look at the countries that Equal Health Alliance was assigned, they would be the high-risk bioterrorism countries or what countries that would... would potentially have uh, bioweapons programs that we'd be concerned with. And I don't know if that was by design or just random chance. And this was this was USAID money or this was uh, this was USA, defense. This was USAID money. So the okay, so the, the prime contract was USAID to UC Davis Bet Med and then you were technically subs to them. Correct. Okay, cool. And how many but, other subs? It was EcoHealth and... Well, then once you get to the subs of the subs, that's where it gets really interesting. So once you contracted and once you work through a country like Jordan, for example, then we'd con contract usually with a, a research institution if we could, a university, um, maybe a ministry of agriculture, a ministry of health or... Okay, so those were your subs, secondary subs. Secondary but sub. you, were, you were the... EcoHealth was the prime sub to School of Vet Med? As I there a parallel? As I, okay, so, so the, the money pipeline goes USAID, School of Veterinary Med, you've named the program officer, we can hunt down their academic appointment in their department, and then uh, it goes to EcoHealth for the uh, countries that are um, higher risk uh, for, um, uh, I'm assuming, uh, um, let's just say nefarious activities, and then you would uh, contract for your surveillance and data gathering activity with uh, um, in-country expertise. Uh, so then, so you were, you were basically washing USAID money um, and uh, engaging uh, uh, with uh, um, useful entities and individuals in those regions. And as I recall from uh, my interactions with various of these players, one of the uh, main objectives is to move towards some sort of general data gathering capability that would allow early warning uh, signals to be detected, uh, suggestive of some regional player uh, messing about with things and uh, causing some cluster of outbreak signal that would have an unusual pattern in terms of uh, various laboratory markers or, or uh, um, diagnostic findings uh, that would be potentially picked up through cellular traffic or other types of information feeds. Does that sound about right? 
that sounds about right. It's a bigger picture of the 10,000 foot level. Now to the ability that would actually be effective. Um, I don't think it is. Uh, I mean, there's a simple way and you're a medical doctor. I mean, the only way that you're going to pick this up is if you clinically diagnose someone and you test something and you find it in a sample using a lot of corollary data, which is after the effect, the, after uh, the event, so to speak, is not necessarily the best way to collect this type of intelligence. And, and for the biological samples that they were collecting, they weren't collecting sufficient uh, sample sizes, and they weren't uh, systematically or routinely collecting samples through the PREDICT program. I mean, it's almost laughable at the size of the budget. Typically, so that's even, one of your main points is that if this was intended for its uh, purported purpose, uh, it was poorly designed for that. And, and so you believe, or you're suggesting, because of the exclusive focus on uh, coronavirus and particularly MERS-like viruses, which at the time everybody was scared silly about. Uh, um, uh, in retrospect, uh, you know, uh, it was a. In any case, we clearly things have played out otherwise. But uh, um, so you were you were being engaged to wow. operate. Maple says, uh, so where he is, all around the country have reported the same in schools. Kids keep getting sick over and over. They're deteriorating. New onset seizures, cephalages problems to concentrate and now we have under 10 year olds dying from heart attacks i'm beyond pissed <laughs> imagine dude God. hold in there bro uh in largely the uh, middle eastern desert communities that were more politically risky to uh per specifically perform surveillance for mers like coronaviruses that may be circulating in those populations um, in terms of the uh, physical sample collection activity as opposed to the information processing technology. Over. Good copy. Uh, so my take on that is, well, first of all, I volunteered for the North, North African and Middle Eastern countries based on my combat experience in the Middle East. I, I, I knew because of those experiences, I understood the culture where the risks probably could be from actually going, going over there and having to do the work and politically how to handle situations. Because a lot of this, I realized, was just very political. It was very and, and you were, at the time, you were SOCOM or you were Army or what? Uh, when, when I was in Iraq? Yeah. Um, so my first deployment is I started in OIF, uh, the end of OIF-2 and all of OIF-3, which would have been the end of 2004, all of 2005 when things were pretty intense, uh, and then left at the uh, very end of 2005. I was so you, were, you were combat? Oh, you're infantry, you're about to say, okay. Okay. So I, I served in the, the heat of it. I actually have PTSD. Um, it's, I have nightmares and a heightened uh, sense of anxiety from it, but it, it's sort of a joke that, that uh, I think about halfway through a deployment, 40 or 45% of my uh, company were on either antidepressants or sleep medications and everybody had issues and nobody was really talking to, talking about that. Everyone started talking about it. So yeah, we actually, you know, I, I served in uh, the height, height of it, fought in the height of it. it uh, I get it. Okay, so, so that's your, your, your kind of got uh, battlefield experience, cultural awareness, um, uh, field operational capabilities, and that are kind of uh, have to do with your cultural awareness. And uh, so you feel comfortable operating in those theaters, and that was uh, uh, you were tasked with, and that was an unmet need that EcoHealth was uh, helping fulfill. But what, what, how do you, what, what is your inference about the exclusive focus on the coronavirus collection, and how did that operate? Were they going collecting camel poop or blood samples from camel drivers, or what was going on there? Well, the first thing that we always do is you look at the budget. And you look at the budget and say, how much can we accomplish with these funds, and how, how low of a rate can we negotiate with the partner? Uh, so then right away, vi viral uh, isolation is very expensive for sample. So then you start looking at that cost and figuring that into the budget, travel, all these things, the, the necessary costs. Then you take a look at it and say, well, um, let's see what we can get. So can we get fecal samples? Can we get sputum or, or some kind of nasal, uh, some kind of nasal swab? Um, 
or any other excretion from the animal. You, can, you know, you want to collect as many samples of different types of fluids because you never know you're going to find something. And that's that's a it's a fishing expedition. That's not really surveillance by definition either, because uh, the definition of surveillance is the systematic collection of samples or information to then hopefully get an early warning to prevent something from happening. Well, fishing for going on a global hunt for viruses is not a systematic collection of information. So back to the state admission of what the predict program was and what they were claiming to do, it wasn't doing any of those things. It was it, it was simply just collecting information and hunting for viruses, which I found. But I, I can tell you from from working closely with the Ditra Chem Biodefense folks, um, they're not always the sharpest tools in the shed. And <laughs> uh, I'm lost for words, but uh, okay. Ditra the Dimbos, okay. And uh, they could, uh, you know, they might oh, say... Hang on. I want to say thank you to, um, let's just say, someone, Australia. Um, thank you very much. Uh, $25. Much, much appreciated. And uh, let's see. There was another one. Uh, someone in Tennessee. Uh, thank you. Uh, much, much appreciated. Keep the wheels rolling. Keep the lights on in the dojo. Senses, they often see their uh, mission space as more pilot program-like, mm. uh, not not more comprehensive operational. They're, they're often trying to prove a concept that then gets passed off to bigger funding. Um, is that is that comport with your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And it depends on the the program manager that gets assigned to your your project. Uh, some program program managers are very much go getters, um, want to be involved, are interested. And some program managers are just passing their time to get a good review on their portfolio so they can make the next lateral movement or, or advance in, in Washington D.C. There are. Kamaldoke says, I'm sorry, but you don't get to use military lingo to garner a sense of camaraderie when your fat ass has been sitting behind a desk with nefarious free letter agency fucked up. <laughs> what can I say to that? Uh... Part of the emerging pandemic threats program, but what became weird was every time we were operating in a different country is that you'd get the USAID people in the mission assigned to that country and whatever State Department people were uh, associated with it. So there's a lot of appointees. So it was a, it was a wide variety of, of characters. There were certain leader leadership uh, personnel that were always involved, but. Uh, depending on which country that, that that shifted dramatically, but I didn't ask, answer your earlier question, Solomon, about the, the funding and how this ties back into Eco Health Alliance. So there are a number of organizations funding Eco Health Alliance. Um, so private foundations, the Google Foundation, the Skull Foundation. So a lot of big big foundations funding one-off projects. Google Foundation, interesting. And just because it's a nonprofit organization does not mean that it's not profitable. So we were actually uh, quite profitable, especially when I started bringing money into the organization. Uh, things were improving, profits were incre increasing at the organization. Well, what does a nonprofit do with basically unrestricted funds? You invest that back into research. And um, I think Dr. Malone, you'll understand this, but I think a lot of people outside of science don't understand the simple fact. When you submit a proposal um, to a, a sponsoring entity, whether that is a drug manufacturer, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, the US government agency, you typically already have the first work done in the proposal before you submit it. And if you really really Yes, 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 yes. And this, this is why uh, the, uh, the experiments laid out in the diffuse proposal are so important for the public record because 
like I say, any any scientist worth their salt who's been in a position where you've been receiving grants, you know you're always a year or two ahead of the data that you've submitted. Always. And so what that indicates is that what was introduced was uh, very, very likely ongoing. Even if it wasn't funded, they still would have done it. They've got institutional funds to carry out that research. They're just fishing for extra. Ideally, you have about a th the first year of results, if not the, th the first third of the proposed uh, scope. Well, <laughs> this interview sponsored by Jewel. Uh, I'll have you know, uh, Mark, that this, this is a geek vape. Not a jewel. It's pure, pure as the driven snow. It's going to go there, and the best scientists I know. I have a friend that is actually three years ahead in his his grant cycle funding, and you become so good at this that there's no easier money or money to obtain or get than the work that you've already completed. And you sort of sit down, you polish it, and then you start. You get to this point where you can cut and paste out your proposals uh, and from your research work almost effortlessly, and it becomes a machine on its own. Especially once you get postdocs and other advanced researchers involved, it becomes it becomes a game. Uh, that the intercept uh, reported through through Drastic, we were actually I, I hadn't been affiliated with Drastic at the time, but I was actually independently steering Miranda Devine uh, from the New York Post to the same proposal that likely exists and telling her how to find it. So I said, told her to start looking at the proposals, and I would look between you know a ditch or a DARPA between these years, um, and it got published at the uh, through the intercept first. And this is key because if you look at the the DARPA diffuse proposal. And if that work had occurred, that's the exact work that you would do to have an accidental or um. Salute to uh, Commander Rixie for the diffuse proposal. I think more people need to be mentioning Charles every time uh, the diffuse proposal is mentioned, <laughs> and they don't they don't mention him once in this interview. Intentional release a SARS-CoV-2 in September of 2019. You look at the timeline and the fact that EcoHealth Alliance, like most other successful scientific organizations, work ahead of the proposal. They were probably already a year, two years, maybe three years ahead of the work that they were submitting and asking money for. So your thesis is that uh, EcoHealth was funding the uh, gain-of-function uh, kind of Rube Goldberg uh, bat vaccine project prospectively prior to uh, DARPA's uh, proposal evaluation yeah, of determined that it was uh, had excessive risk that wasn't mitigated and then subsequently got passed on to Tony and, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, and that um, that research was pretty much already in the can and I heard you mention September 2019 as an event date. Um, uh, why did you pull that particular date out of the hat? Well, actually, it could be earlier, but I have more confidence. So I like to, to stake my reputation on, on data that I'm confident in. Uh, there's, there's no denying that the disease was spreading before the military world games took place in Wuhan, China. And to have the velocity um, of an outbreak based on the reproductive rate based on the fact that athletes are reporting that the city is shut down at that time when the world military or military world games take place they were already in response mode. So you'd actually have to be at least 30 days prior uh, with the, the R-naught or the reproductive rate to get to Wuhan was in... So, yeah, I think uh, it's not very clear in this interview, but, um, but what uh, Andrew is saying is that the onset of SARS-CoV-2 was much, much earlier than December. I'm very much in that camp as well. And um, yeah, the the... the Where's the uh, where's the medical records and the uh, <laughs> the samples that we could take from those athletes? That would that would be interesting data to get our hands on. Lockdown at that point in time, or or another region. 
uh, I believe it was Wuhan, is, is my understanding. So the... uh, that's not true. Jay mentions me and Diffuse all the time. Well, yeah. Uh, in the negative i would like uh, i would like some who are using it in the positive to make sure that uh <laughs> you charles you commander rixie are um given the appropriate credit wuhan was open until after the chinese new year well i'd have to take a look i might be mistaken on that but i believe that's, it it's wuhan. kind of an important that's important one to put a pin in okay um, uh, so um, i'll have to double check but i'm pretty sure it was wuhan i make mistakes and i'm not perfect so maybe it's misinformation and I just Google checked myself, but uh, athletes reported that the city was a ghost town during the, the military uh, world games. And, you know, there were reports that they were doing testing, etc. There was a lot, there was a lot of suspicious activity at that time. And if I remember correctly, that there were exercises as well. I want to say just prior to the games um, around contagion prevention so um again i do i do think the military games is a is a good place to sort of start an investigation so ghost town doesn't mean lockdown i know that they didn't lock it because callahan escaped um by boat out of there um and i remember clearly that the lockdown happened after the chinese new year uh because i was shocked at the time because callahan had alerted me of the threat and i was you know they they moved around all over the country and also flew in and out of the united states uh, uh ex-scientist event 201 was actually after the military games i want to say november um it was it was the wuhan military games then event 201 then basically the announcement of the pandemic Con concurrent with the with the new year event which is a major uh, time of population flux. Uh, people go back to their home, well, etc. There's there another important fact. There are there are leaked documents um, from Chinese corporations talking about what's happening in Wuhan um, in early November uh, of 2019. So that would actually then correlate then with what the athletes reported at the military world games. And if you know a communist country like China, um, it's not really a company that. Guy River, have you and Charles Rixie ever interviewed George Webb or do you know of his research and journalism work? Yes, uh, I can't say I know George well, but uh, enough to talk to, enough he came to see me in Texas. Um, I did a short little um, uh, report with him that he put out on Twitter. And look, I'll, I'll, I'll say this about George. Sometimes he's unerringly accurate. Sometimes he seems to just, it's like a, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I get the feeling he can get a bit too carried away, um, in his, uh, conclusions, but I, I will say this over the last three years, a lot of his investigations into NATO do kind of ring true. And, you know, he was talking about Ukraine long, long before uh, many, many people. And, you know, I, I think for that he should be given uh, credit. Um, I, I, well, I, I guess it's the difference between being a scientist and him being a sort of investigative journalist. I tend to err on the side of um, uh, caution when trying to come to a conclusion. Um, George tends to jump in with both feet, but um, look, I, I, 
watch out for work that George does. Um, like I say, I can't can't say I agree with all of it, but um, I've come. Like I say, over the last three years, I've come to think that um, there's there's probably more more truth than people would give him credit for. That's reporting this. This is like Communist Party communication within. Yeah. Callahan was in country in that region under the cover of his Harvard appointment um, in the fourth quarter of 2019. So that, that fits with this timeline. And then he calls me on January 4th saying that this thing is getting out of hand and I need to get my team spun up, which happens to be a, uh, a Ditra Kimbaya defense team. Over. Um, <laughs> ah, cringe. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. So from a policy, the 10,000 foot level, there, there's one policy option that you have when you detect an infectious disease outbreak, and that's, it, it could fizzle out. So what you do is you just, you don't do anything. That's your, that's your, your decision. And you, you let to, you sit back and you watch and you see whether or not the infectious disease outbreak um, is going to, is going to fizzle out. But I firmly believe that the cover up of this began on day one, because that was when the DARPA program manager, uh, or the person who I know is affiliated with Argus Bio contacted me and tried to recruit me into the DARPA uh, program as a program manager unexpectedly. Uh, so, it, so that date, that date was, you said November? Um, when they tried to recruit me? No, it was, it was September of 2019. September. Okay. And at that point you were more Middle Eastern centric and now you're being uh, recruited to um, industrial China. Is that true? Well, no. So this is this is the weird thing. So I had left Eagle Health Alliance in 2016. Then I became okay. a tenure track professor at Michigan State University. I was in the, the College of Veterinary Medicine uh, with appointments related to geography and then also human medicine. And I served as a hospital epidemiologist. Going on about research, teaching students, three years go by. Um, Jewel Laboratories, the, the e-cigarette company, finds out about the work that I did at Sandy. I actually did some of the early work uh, determining whether or not we're evaluating the health effects of e nicotine e-vapor products. They give me a uh, a financial offer I can't refuse. I take it. So we, I move out to California, and I'm an executive at, at Jewel. And I got the, co the contact from this woman affiliated with Ar uh, Argus Bio, just randomly as I was walking into work. And uh, sh she gave me the, the hard press on three different phone calls to take this position, and I declined it. I mean, I was just making too much money. I, I didn't, and I didn't want to move back to the Washington D.C. area, and I really didn't want to have a security clearance again. I mean, I, I had had a security clearance most of my, actually all of my twenties and into my early thirties. I did not want to have to have one again. So that's a that's an interesting tangent. So, um, so they're approaching you in, around the time of the games, uh, September twenty nineteen, uh, and your inference is that uh, just based on your knowledge, because at this point you're not working for EcoHealth. I haven't worked for years. Yeah. Yeah, you're but you're aware of the workflow at EcoHealth, and so you're speculating that from the documents that you've seen subsequently, like the Veritas release uh, by the major from uh, DARPA. <laughs> I, uh, Commander Rixie, I'll have you know. How dare you? That uh, it would be, you would predict based on the normal business practices of Eco Health, that at the time they submitted that proposal, they would have already completed. <laughs> Mark says, I get all my best executive job leads from random people in parking lots. Oh, that's funny, bro.
I, like I say, um, I, I'm just going to stick with the man is standing up and um, throwing <laughs> throwing spanners uh, into uh, their cogs through legal action. Um, I'll I'll take it right now. Um, our backs are against the wall, and you know Charles, you know very eloquently said that you know if, if we've got whistleblowers, uh, you know we should sort of be somewhat somewhat gentle with them because we need more we need more whistleblowers so need a significant fraction of the post work um and so you're inferring based on that that um uh they were actively engaged with wuhan lab Kalmazok says he was a veter veterinarian now or at least did some classes how did this translate to a job at jewel so m my understanding is that the work he did at Sandia, um, is it Los Alamos, was to do with, well, um, apparently nicotine products, uh, vaping nicotine products. So um, the maybe that sort of greased the wheels for him to take a position there and, you know, uh maybe andrew likes money <laughs> who, who doesn't like money support the doc mccandojo.com uh hit those links give the doc uh give the doc a penny or two in the bat vaccine research strategy that's outlined in the proposal uh that we have a copy of thanks to veritas is that do i have that right that's thanks to charles rixie and uh, I don't know if I can say his name, but uh, the major in uh, DARPA. Correct. And I think there's some additional information here. So did I mention that, that, that Dr. Dasik uh, came to me looking for advice whether or not you should work with the CIA? You mentioned that. What was the time frame? So that was in December. So it's interesting. So in around the holidays in 2015, doc, Dr. Dasik and I were closing up the office late at night. It was probably 930. So vaping like in the valley. Yes. Yes. 10 o'clock at night, walking out. We're in the vestibule and he goes, Andrew, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, no, Peter, oh, what do you got? And uh, he responds back. He's like, well, I've been, been approached by somebody from the CIA. And right away, I'm like, oh my God, what's he, what's he telling me? Because my, my, my previous experience in national security. And uh, the next thing is, he's, you know, they're, they're sort of interested in a few of the things we're working in. He's like, do you think it's a good idea if, if, I, if, I, if I work with them? And right away, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to say to this? And I say, Peter, it never hurts to talk to them. There could be money in it. And he said, okay. He's like, well, you know, I'm going to go follow up with him in, you know, in, in a few weeks. And that was sort of it. Making small talk. We get on the elevator. We leave. We walk, walk out the building. And I walk him back to his car. He had a parking spot uh, just off 34th Street. And I, I lived up on 45th Street in New York. Start walking home. I get home and I tell my wife about it. And, you know, she's sort of shocked to hear this. Because my wife actually worked at Sandia National Laboratories, too. She's a PhD level scientist. And um, why would she be shocked? Well, um, She's a she's a Forrester uh, ecologist type person. She, oh, she, okay. didn't, she didn't work in the natural security side of things. So she's she not work. really in our world. Um, no, she's not in our world. It's, she's it's, in the climate forest. Uh, it's yeah. what I would expect to happen with Peter Dazic and EcoHealth. Um, <laughs> well, so then it, well, this is where it gets interesting, um, is that over the next six weeks, he gives me updates that the conversations with him are going well. He's The CIA is interested in the people that he's working with, the places that we're working, the data we're collecting. And he's telling me this in between uh, executive meetings or in the, the coffee break area when, when nobody else is around. And I'm like, oh, like, this is interesting. This is an interesting direction for the organization. And, you know, it's, it's sort of making sense. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip forward here in, in the timeline. So after uh, I started sort of uh, calling BS on what we're being told um, about 
the origin of COVID and when it happened, because I became aware of it in mid-December 2019. Um, I have a friend in the region who's a epidemiologist, mm -hmm. and he starts telling me there's weird things going on. I start seeing the videos on the streets, uh, presumably. Um, I also have another person in their contact that I, I speak with or communicate with in a professional forum who I've never met, who's sort of saying the same thing. So I decided to go pull uh, satellite um, pollutant data uh, for uh, PM 2.5 and, and look at to see what the air quality looks like. And I overlay that with known cre crematoriums uh, in the region. And it looks like these things are operating in an overdrive 24 seven. And I'm like, holy crap, this is, this is the next big one. Uh, December of 2019. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, I'm actually start freaking out about this. I'm like, holy crap, how's this not in the government? You know, or, excuse me, how's this not in the media? How's, how's this not in the news? And um, I'm becoming more concerned because now I'm watching and looking at this and looking at alternative news and media sources. Um, and I think this is the next big one. I, I bet on so much. I, I get out of my lease early in California and panic by a house in the upper peninsula of Michigan. My wife was still a professor at Michigan State University. Uh, I get a house off the grid. The last white holdout. I buy six months worth of food, MREs, and uh, stockpile stuff for whatever's coming. I get full face, face respirators for two years from the family, not knowing what's coming, but knowing, knowing that something's coming. coming. And we move up here in February, late February, early March of 2020. And I feel like we've escaped at least what could happen in, in the urban population center, especially in California. None of the stories lining up. And then I start to investigate my own records and uh, at Equal Health because I, I knew that Equal Health had been doing the work in Wuhan. And the fact that they were communicating over this period of time that this disease had emerged in a wet market was BS. So, you know, typically the, the type of place that we're concerned with this, uh, with this, this type of emergence or infectious disease emergence are live animal markets. And live animal markets are within the definition of wet market. And it was a, a sly move by the whoever was doing the messaging to say that this this emerged in a wet market. And then I looked at the pictures of this of this the seafood market. Typically, wet market means seafood market. It looks like a clean place that, that I would eat. And I've actually ate at some of the really disgusting live animal markets in third world countries. And I'm looking at this, and this doesn't look right. I can't find any pictures of bats or or the other types of animals or, or the the ecological niche that's human created for the to this disease emerge. It's just it's just not adding up. And uh, from day one, I'm like, this is a lab leak. This is a lab leak. I've been telling all my friends that, but I'm not going super public. This is this is circa January. February, you're saying this. Correct. Okay. And so then I started digging through my records um, in later, about June of um, 20, I guess it was 2020. And I discover the InQtel proposal that Peter Daszak had me add slides to. And now going back in my timeline. And you're, he, and you, and you're fully aware of what InQtel is. Yes. I've, I've pitched my own company to InQtel, my startup company. So I'm fully aware of it. Oh, and it even gets crazier than this. So what's the uh, timeline for the, what's the time frame for the InQtel? You're going to put this bid. together right away. October of 2015. Okay. So then I, then Peter comes so, to me. So you have, you have, okay. So the Peter comes to you after that or before that? After that. Okay. So the InQtel documents are the uh, camel's nose for the agency who's now interacting with Peter. And then fast forward um, to... Look, I, I do remember seeing the um, data that would indicate that there was... I don't know. <laughs> How should we say? <laughs> Bodies being uh, disposed. And, you know, the city was supposedly on lockdown and yeah we saw all these uh clouds <laughs> i don't know i don't know how much you can put faith in that data but i, I remember seeing it at the time 2019 fall um and also uh, also the boxes <laughs> the piles and piles of boxes of ashes looks like shit at the fan starting september uh signal gets really strong in december um i get called january 4th uh 
Callahan had been there ostensibly and under the guise of his Harvard appointment. By the way, David Hone, who's the chief medical officer or chief scientific officer for uh, Dietrich Chem Biodefense, called me. Uh, Not the sharpest tool in the shed, apparently. <laughs> as I mentioned in Bobby's book, and told me specifically we had nobody in country at that time, and Michael Callahan is lying. Uh, and I should stop talking about it. So that was about as clear a signal that uh, all of the above was false um, as, as I've ever heard. Now, Michael told me uh, late January when I asked him about the lab leak hypothesis, he said that our people have been all over this virus and there's absolutely no signs of any genetic manipulation associated with it. Well, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, I beg to differ on that one. So that, right, so that's clearly, and Michael is a very skilled liar, by the way, of course, he's well, well trained in intelligence. All right, and I've met many yeah. of them. The funny thing is, like I said, getting to this point in my career now, in retrospect, I didn't realize how how, how many of them they there, there were in my proximity, and all these things I had been working on my whole life. I actually believe that, that I was being soft-recruited, probably, um, since I was a PhD student, and, it, and I came to that conclusion, actually, after speaking with RFK Jr. on the telephone. He sends me a copy of his book, I read it, and I read the last chapter, and I'm like, I know all the people, and then I look at the timeline of my, my mentor's connections to these people and um I, I i couldn't believe it and i called up one of my, my mentors uh, colonel john hoffman he helped stand up the department of homeland security after 9 11 and, and i asked him <laughs> really <laughs> i'd like a few words with that gentleman i'm like what are the odds do you think that the, the cia has actually been actually trying to recruit me for all these years maybe i was just too stupid to, to go or too smart to go jump to the hoop and he started laughing he's like andrew you're the exact person they want to recruit and it, it just sort of clicked I don't. Uh, so my reaction is to that. To that is, where did you get that bumbling, incompetent uh, company storyline? Um, uh, there's no question in my mind that the uh, um, the the logic laid out in the bid uh, to DARPA that Veritas revealed. Uh, Charles Rixey, sir. Charles Rixey. Um, sounds exactly like the kind of logic that I used to hear from my old colleagues at UC Davis that were involved in HIV, SIV, chimeric research involving insertion of human cytokines into the recombinants to make them more pathogenic because they were frustrated that they couldn't get monkey disease in the way that they thought they should be able to get it. <clears throat> so this kind of hubristic, uh, you know, we are the chosen and we can do whatever we want to do and not really questioning the logic. Uh, when, I, when I read the bid, the proposal and the associated documents, uh, from that uh, DARPA release from the major, what I read sounded entirely uh, likely as somebody who reviews grants and contracts. Uh, um, it, it, that kind of squishy thinking, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that we can come up with this uh, logic of uh, boxing in the ability of the virus to evolve, that's exactly the way these guys think. So I, I you know, the DITRA, as I mentioned before, DITRA is not, um, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed, typically. And, uh, and this kind of uh, goofy, uh, fuzzy thinking, um, uh, I, I think is entirely consistent with the type of people that I've known. And, I, and I, so maybe I'm casting shade, and you're interpreting it as indication of a uh, bumbling, incompetent organization. No, I'm just saying that um, the uh, scientific logic behind this type of strategy is consistent with what I've uh, observed in the past and seemed entirely plausible to me. So I personally believe that those documents are real. And by the way, I do have the major's phone number. I just have not called him because I uh, didn't want to intrude, but um, he's a real person. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, but I, I, uh, 
I always assumed that DASIC and EcoHealth uh, were um, were one of the entities uh, um, employed by uh, the IC and and uh, that world uh, to do this kind of work. They, their behavior and, and logic and thought and uh, text is entirely consistent. So that um, uh, the intelligence community has invested in virus isolation for decades and decades and decades. That's uh, um, I think that's a critical point, and you know this is this is why I love speaking to Nick so much. Is that th these aren't <laughs> SARS didn't just emerge out of nowhere. There's, like I say, a long, long, dark history uh, that's brought us to this point, and we we have to get a handle on it. It it, it it's a cancer that's just been fueled by. <laughs> high pressure money hose and you know look I get that people are have not contrary have perceptions of Robert Malone and Andrew Huff that because of their associations make them less than reliable witnesses is the wrong word but well whistleblowers they're acting as whistleblowers and i'm i'm prepared to listen to them to see how far it is that they want to go and you know it doesn't stop at eco health it goes into all of these programs, DITRA, DARPA, DOD, all the corporations around them. They all need weeding out. <laughs> Spark has, has made us the map. Uh, Mark has given us the encyclopedic library. Um, let, let's go clean house and let's make sure that these people, because these people are involved in, in the uh, surveillance state that's being pulled out constructed in front of us and I, I'm telling you I, I, we have very very little time in which to be able to uh, effectively push back it may be too late already but you know this may be the best that we've got Zika was uh, isolated through one of those programs and often it's USAID money that's behind it there's uh, revealed documents going back. I mean, they've been they've been monitoring Africa and African jungles for emergent viruses for years and years and years, and tracking virus flux in bird migrant bird populations. All this kind of stuff is right dead center within their wheelhouse. What they've done is over time now added these additional uh, um, information technology based uh, signal processing capabilities. And Argus was the prototype for trying to uh, enable that, where you brought in other data streams in addition to the kind of just more typical surveillance. Part of that surveillance historically was done through the Smithsonian, by the way, using surrogates. Uh, so the, somewhat akin to how we're suggesting that EcoHealth is operating. So I, what I hear... Now, um, I'm going to take a different view, okay? That I, I think in this day and age... Uh, they're being a little, a little selective about the capabilities, and I think that's exemplified by what we see in Ukraine. Uh, 
where I think that the modern approach to biowarfare is geared around incapacitating agents. And what they're trying to do is to find pathogens, local pathogens, that they could modify in such a way that it makes it very, very difficult to track that something something has changed in the environment such that you can you know, unleash your ticks, your mosquitoes, your drone sprays, and then and then you go in and uh, send in your operation with countermeasures on board, and then you 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 come out. And um, I I want to see them. I, I, I would like validation of of if that's a possibility because it seems a very very um, tangible. Um, research and 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 particularly uh, an an offensive capability, and again, it's it, it's just camouflaged in the the sort of eco uh, green type um, projects that they that they push to the public. Um, I'd I'd like to speak to these two. You know, I've got I've got questions that I would like to be asking them. I don't care about Robert Malone's mRNA. Um, I want to know what he knows about the the structure and operational capabilities of these programs that would be looking for, as I say, um, incapacitating agents and their um, their their ability to control them and leverage them to their advantage. That's where, that's where I think these programs were heading or have headed. And I, I, I've got a feeling it's kind of blown up in their face. Here is uh, everything rings true to me. What I don't hear is anything so far other than the, the documentation of uh, involvement with the CIA's investment fund. That's new news. Um, the timeline of September uh, and, and uh, the preceding years leading up to that, that's new information to me. Sounds like that's more robust than what and, we've had before. And that's actually correlated by uh, blood donation samples in the United States that, that actually would indicate um, the disease was circling, uh, circulating in the United States in, in December of 2019. So you can do the math based on travel data and the ep epidemiology. That puts it back before at least November or potentially September of 2019. Yeah, so... So it all that those that timeline all seems uh, reasonable uh, um, for for what it's worth. I, I um, you know, it sounds like what you bring to the table that's new knowledge is your uh, repository of documents up to uh, sixteen when you departed the company, and then these uh, sounds like somewhat frantic attempts to recruit you uh, around the time of of the presumed uh, crossover event or leak event. I'm I'm completely there that that this I, I've already you know I've already I've spoken about it publicly multiple times. The the uh, reveal from the DARPA proposal for Miko Health finally dropped in the last brick in in the logic train that I was missing, which is why the heck would they be messing around with this? Because the various claims like the Chinese dissident that this was just the PRC messing about uh, building a bioweapon for world domination just seemed a little too uh, convenient. Um, but the but the logic of oh we're we're going to develop an aerosolized bat vaccine that would constrain the ability of a uh, related coronavirus to evolve to become more pathogenic in humans 
That sounds plausible to me, like not that it would be a good idea, but that it would be the kind of idea that these types of folks would try to advance. Okay, so I asked uh, my Ditra GS14 level buddy, um, and Hone is GS15, by the way, uh, just so we're calibrating things. And Hone is somebody I've known since he was a postdoc. He stayed in my house. I've stayed in his house. I knew his ex-wife. His current wife stayed on our farm, you know, for too long. I know about their domestic squabbles. I know too much. Um, uh, but this GS14 level person, I asked him about this, and I said, I advised him because I've been asked by David Hone to mentor him. And, and I told him, you better keep your hands off of anything that has got, uh, that touches this eco-health situation in any way, shape, or form, because it's going to eventually blow up and bite you. Um, and he said, I asked it, he said, it's not within our division, Kim Biodefense, is what he said. He said, we're continuing to fund the Wuhan lab, but it's coming through the threat mitigation branch, which is a, it's one of their big splits. Mm -hmm. Threat mitigation, as you know well, uh, has to do with the old, uh, uh, what was his name, Andrew, I forget his last name, uh, initiative where he went into the Soviet Union and bought up the loose nukes, which is kind of what gave Ditra its genesis. It's oh, good. Andrew Weber. <laughs> Andrew, we've sold everything with mRNA. Weber. <laughs> um, so uh, the threat, what he said was the threat mitigation branch is, is, has ongoing funding with the Wuhan lab. And the intention is by putting them on the payroll, um, they're going to reduce the risk that these Chinese scientists get engaged in, uh, we'll just call it nefarious acts, um, and uh, that they'll be able to maintain some sort of uh, connection and, I guess, monitoring surveillance in some way. I, when I listened to this, I thought it was grossly naive because uh, we're, 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 we're dealing with the PRC, um, that is not the former Soviet Union. And my sense was that what it sounded to me like the logic that was being advanced there was um, based on a, a program, a historic program success that's a little bit legendary within DITRA um, uh, in, a, in a, a field environment of uh, the collapsed Soviet Union. Um, and they're applying the same logic to uh, the situation in the People's Republic. And it's a completely different political landscape. Uh, but that that was the explanation I was given, you know, whether or not, and this is from an individual that um, is a, a LDS church member and generally pretty straight arrow kind of a guy that, that my experience is he doesn't lie. He'll manipulate things a little bit um, for, uh, you know, programmatic. All these liars, all these people with domestic troubles. Uh, <laughs> Starting to sound a bit, uh, a bit like a soap opera advantage but uh i doubt that he was directly lying to me so he had said that the funding continues and that it was being routed through threat mitigation to wuhan lab but i thought wuhan lab was actually built the modern building by a u.s contractor uh did i did i get that wrong or right wrong it was built by the french and uh what's the company sanofi Sanofi Avantis and uh, who's the and the guy went to uh, Moderna, right? Oh, I need a that's a Mark question. The French built the, built it, built the laboratory, and after the the, the French were kicked out, um, the American programs stepped in, and I agree with your, your assessment on sort of the history behind probably Ditra's involvement at the laboratory. I came to a conclusion that's a little different though. I I looked at it this way and. and it's a very simple question. Why on earth would the Chinese ever allow us 
into that laboratory. So if they're they're doing bioweapons development, they have their they have their own program going. They do not need our money. I mean, the Chinese right. fundamentals do not Absolutely. need our money. And that, that's the, the the whole student about a lot of how people have ignored this problem. I think. Do you know what they do need is our advanced biotechnology, and they need our training. And when I look at this at the end of the day, this looks like an exchange for biotechnology for access to their laboratory. And the problem with that is, if it's failed already once, we're, uh, the example of SARS-CoV-2's emergence, it's going to it's going to happen and it's going to fail again. And, Great. and a lot of that training gets routed through Harvard in my experience, and that's the importance of Michael's appointment. So what Michael told me was they have a very active uh, cultural, basically. Home to Jeffrey Epstein in an office there. The academic exchange program that's run through Harvard, and it, and it works for both sides. Uh, his agency gets access. By the way, the other day, a New York Times reporter that was in our house uh, that we later learned is in the disinformation beat. I mentioned to her, uh, so that's already suspect. Um, I mentioned to her the story um, of a CIA officer, and she immediately corrected me and said, ex CIA officer, which just rang my bells, uh, you know, because that was too precise a knowledge for somebody who's, you know, not otherwise connected with the IC. Uh, and, and that's exactly, you know, under kind of a mockingbird environment, that's exactly um, the type of position that you'd expect to, to be involved. So I, I think that, that what Michael said was they had this very active exchange program and that it worked for both sides. The Chinese scientists got the benefit in terms of their promotion and tenure within their system of having the emprunteur of spent time at Harvard. Uh, and then uh, from our side, we got access and intelligence in country, which is what Michael was actively collecting at the time when he was there. So that's, that's, the, that's my understanding of that Malika system is, is, and it's entirely consistent with your thesis and we know that there's a lot of that uh, flux of uh, technical know-how often through Harvard um, through a variety of different programs. So that all fits your, your, your thesis about what the quid pro quo was um, from their side. And it could well be that Ditra, Ditra in my experience, is a little goofy, a little naive. Uh, and um, so, uh, you know, if there's goofy here, it may be more in the Ditra side than in the EcoHealth Alliance side. Well, and I think there's a lot of goofy to go go around at the different government agencies that are all on the periphery of this. You know, when I've been at the cocktail parties in, in Washington, D.C., and you have people from HHS, CDC, Alphabet, Department of Defense, DITRA, um, I'm probably leaving other agencies out, or even the White House, for example. There's, Barda. A, lot of, there's a lot of ditzy, and you can tell that there's a lot of people, it's just the, the typical, you know, the dead barter there as well. And again, um, to me, this is uh, indicative of... <laughs> That, that these networks are very wide that the the organizations the people involved and we have to crack it open somehow and if this if this is a way to sort of knock out some of the foundations and plant in some demolition charges then you know i'm I, i'm all for it and but we, sh we we shouldn't forget the i don't know, peripheral is probably the the wrong the wrong word but the the whole system has been geared towards this ah, surveillance surveillance development of incapacitation agents and yeah it's the countermeasures as well because the, the pharmaceutical um side it, it's it's all very suspect 
And so if these if these guys are prepared to speak about it and we can pass their information and look through it and I'm I, I'm gonna take it. Technocratic elite where people are trying to get their next job promotion, they're not really thinking about the consequences of the program that they're putting into action. Or, Absolutely. Or or the, the 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 how effective that program will be, or the second or third over order consequences. I think what, the reason why I'm good in my field as a scientist was because of my military background. Well, you're always thinking of the what if scenarios, your multiple scenario planning, and then you're planning contingencies on contingencies when inevitably everything goes to crap. Which is how, not how most of those people think. No, absolutely. And they, they think of, well, I just need to check my box. We need to do this. We need to check the box and move on to the next thing. It's about box checking. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not, about, it's not about actually concerning about the consequences of the actions. And I think there's a real problem in the United States with how we view our relationship with the Chinese. It's a very abusive relationship. And we keep trying to be uh, scientific diplomats, at least, and go back and have a constructive relationship. Yeah, it's but, grossly naive. Yeah, but, but they keep taking advantage, and it's grossly naive. And from my mentors, uh, military, non-military, we understood that very well, but we keep selling ourselves back out to them, but we're, we're getting played over and over again. And my worst fear is that the, the Chinese either intentionally released this and made it look like an accident, you know, for the quote unquote great research. And that's, 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 that's conspiracy theory, right? But there definitely seems to be evidence which supports that. But, and I'm not even there yet, but. Oh, we'll bring him up to speed. Don't worry. It doesn't seem so like, my, a, like my working, my working hypothesis, having been a primate center uh, investigator um, in remembering that respiratory syncytial virus is likely to have been a Silver Springs crossover event into a technician from a, a monkey colony. Um, these kinds of crossover events happen. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, they have been at Ralph virus is likely to make it look like an accident. He's, he's talking about uh, RSV there and uh, letting slip. <laughs> it's chimpanzee chorizo virus. You know, for the quote unquote great research, and that's, that's 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 conspiracy theory, right? But there definitely seems to be evidence which supports that. But and I'm not even there yet. But it doesn't seem so like my, like my working my working hypothesis, having been a primate center uh, investigator, um, in remembering that respiratory syncytial virus is likely to have been a Silver Springs crossover event into a technician from a, a monkey colony. Um, these kinds of crossover events happen. Which is different to what Nick is saying that um, RSV was probably the product of um, the tissue processing and maybe its use as a uh, vaccine type uh, intervention. Um, Robert Malone seems to be implying that it was a, a, a zoonotic leap, I think. It leaks at Ralph Barrick's laboratory in 2003 or four. Yeah, so so that's my working hypothesis is either number one, a animal got sold out the back door. Uh, but now that I've seen the facility, that seems, the pictures I used to see in the facility made it look like it was uh, second rate. But the pictures that I've seen more recently about the facility make it look like it's a it's a premium property. And so that doesn't fit with the uh, technician is selling a monkey out the back door in it. Then I got to go to the technician becomes inadvertently infected uh, as, as the more, you know, if, if this is an intentional nefarious release, it had huge damage on their uh, um, economics. Uh, so that's in, in the, the concerted effort to deny it uh, while it's spreading within their population. One of the other things that Callahan told me 
was the Chinese investment in PCR surveillance was massive. Uh, and uh, specifically targeting at coronaviruses. Now you're suggesting what was the that... cycle threshold set to? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm sure he knows though. Uh, but I, I'm also sure that he won't take my call anymore. Uh, although I do have his number on my Rolodex. Uh, but um, uh, so so that was his position was that they had made a massive massive investment in surveillance capability, specifically around Corona, um, consequent to SARS one, and. Uh, that they were aware of this as it was brewing. Uh, but clearly there was a concerted effort in the, the logic that's been promoted. It was local apparatchiks that uh, didn't want to get blowback from Beijing that were uh, sitting on the data and trying to hide it because it, was, it would mean that they had failed in one of their major responsibilities uh, consequent to all this investment. That was the story that Callahan told me back in the day. Gain of function research is a major research thread, but in fact, what it is is a uh, standard laboratory technique in virology that has uh, pervaded the entire system. Well, and it's also become more normalized since 2014. And the the, the gain of function work, it, I mean, this is my big problem with it, is that you can't have, at least with the dual use of research are concerned, you can't have a definition of something that, that enhances the transmissibility, pathogenicity, about the virulence of the agent. Then you treat it in a, a peaceful manner, but it also can be used as a bioweapon, because if those two Venn diagrams overlap, you always have to treat it like a bioweapon, because you never know when someone's going to go wrong. Yeah, this, this is what I've been saying uh, all the time. Until, until we can clear off the table any any suspicion that we're we're dealing with uh, biowarfare agents etc that has to be the priority and um the problem is is there's, there's way way too much overlap and you're you're obligated you're obligated to maintain your line of research and investigation down that line rogue or something's going to go wrong. So this is the point. This is why it's classified the dual function. So that's why they put everything that was dual function under wraps. Well, I'm aware, but it it's. And why, why a lot of the dual function uh, money is, is black. Anybody. So CDC used to be doing gain of function research with H1N1. Mm -hmm. um, any, I mean, this has become a standard way. Uh, and it's a, it's a fun way for a virologist to get uh, bucks for tinkering. Uh, is you can do this through uh, forced evolution or you can do it through uh, molecular modification, but uh, to uh, tinker with a virus to figure out what makes it more pathogenic in fill in the blank species uh, can be justified as a, a way to identify risk so, so that one can mitigate that risk, which is essentially the logic of the bat uh, vaccine strategy is threat mitigation. Um, and uh, you can justify it uh, in other ways. One of the things, Saul, and I don't know, we haven't touched on that, but I think I've spoken to you previously, there's a huge hole in the Biowarfare bio Treaty, which is that anything that is uh, not lethal, incapacitating agents are allowed. Uh -huh. In my world, this is well known. Tell us Absolutely. More. So, so if it's dual use and it goes under the black budget, that means that you've got a whole other pot of money you can pull up. Yeah, and there's a bigger there's a bigger logical problem with why we do gain a function, and the idea is that they always sell and they try to pitch it. And Peter was doing this at Equal Health Alliance, and he's recorded saying is that you know we want to try to 
figure out um, you know, if we manipulate these viruses in a way that makes them more transmissible or makes them nastier in some way, then we can build a vaccine or a countermeasure to, to mitigate the risk. Now, why, why that is false logic, though, is that if we're not doing gain-of-function work, then viruses and pathogens are naturally emerging. And if you look at the history of, of viral or pathogen emergence, it typically does not happen the same way that we that humans do gain of function. And that's a false premise of the logic of why we do gain of function work. And that's why I've been opposed to it. Um, it doesn't follow, follow viral evolution theory. And the theory is backed up by hard facts and data collected over centuries. And if you take that same logic and you look at the uh, evidence for SARS-CoV-2 being a lab leak, the fur and cleavage site is a perfect example of something that, that would only be man-made because it wasn't found in beta coronaviruses. So I, I think the argument that I'm making here holds water. The other thing that Hatfield pointed out yesterday when I saw his slide deck is just below the fur and cleavage site is a super antigen domain that seems to be engineered. Um, that, that looks like it's derived from one of the binary agents that uh, we had developed uh, that some in this world ascribe to um, being the true thing that stopped the Soviet Union. Um, um, as Charles has pointed out, and uh, we've had those, I think he said, since the 50s. Because it would allow the tank, you know, it would make it so the tank commanders would die before they would hit the channel. Um, so, so there's, so that, so I just wanted to put the marker there that um, at least uh, Stephen believes that there's a super antigen that was engineered into that thing also. But I agree. Uh, the, other, the other thread, though, I think is a very human one. Uh, so I'm, I'm not convinced that... So, for instance, the alpha virus story just smacks of... Uh, um, uh, I don't want to say biowarfare. Well, it is biowarfare. Uh, biowarfare that is compliant. Say it. Say it. Yes! We'll get the truth out of them. With the treaty, um, uh, incapacitating agent development is is kind of what the alpha virus story seems to be all about, in my experience. And uh, this, well, my my, as this thing emerged, I've said repeatedly, it it looks like it is to a significant extent would meet the criteria for being an incapacitating agent. Yep. So what I what I think is my in my own construct, having. A long-term one. Remember, folks, covert moral bioenhancement is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> if they can, uh, if they can inflict on you some long-term, uh, long-term long neurological damage, then uh, you've been enhanced. Been in this world as you have been, but at the bench level, is a lot of these folks have. There's a certain hubris of uh, believing that uh, one is uh, of an elite. Uh, that uh, deserves or is entitled to uh, work at this cutting edge of virology. Say it, it, it can be a real uh, um, engine for uh, academic work and to be able to say that you have uh, this particular mutation will cause that particular phenotype. Um, it, it is a huge engine for uh, um, high-profile academic thought leader research. And uh, a lot of these folks seem to feel entitled to mess about with these things like that. Yeah, so when you look at it, I think what you're asking about surveillance, here's, here's the problem. Um, once you have an infectious disease, outbreak occurs. You have an index patient, you have some sustained transmission. You're already tracing your tail trying to figure out what, what's going on. And the, the problem is um, the, the response team um, or government entity 
might not know that they're walking into a bioweapon situation because you can't tell because all you're seeing are the people showing up at hospitals um, with, with an illness. So you have no idea what the intent of that was or whether or not it was naturally emerging. And that's where you have to have a government agency or entity has to collect uh, intelligence um, on their enemies to understand whether there's a motive or intent or something's happening. Because once the, the release happens, then you're in instantly in response mode. Um, and there, there are certain agents that would, would immediately, uh, immediately signal that it Andrew is live on Alex Jones. I don't, you know, I don't know if they got into Dr. Dasik, but I mean, do you know how ridiculous it is that the the leader of NIAID, the guy who funds all the gain of function work, doesn't know who their best world famous virologist is, and you can't remember who he is? I mean, this is the insanity of what we're dealing with, and uh, you know, we're really dealing with a, a big problem in our country. It's the Uniparty. Um, you know, Democrats and Republicans do not want to touch this. Um, it's toxic, it, you know, and, and a big reason why they don't want to do that is here's another fact. The SARS-CoV-2 agent and the mRNA uh, medical countermeasure, the vaccine as they call it, it's not a vaccine, were co-developed. That's in the book. Um, it was patented by Ralph Barrick, Moderna, and a number of other uh, of US government scientists. So you have to ask yourself, you know, when the hell is this insanity gonna stop? I mean, we have to do something about it. That's why I wrote the book. <clears throat> and, you know, I realized the psyop that's been going on against the American people is, is this. Um, they try to confuse this whole discussion about the origin of SARS-CoV-2 or COVID um, by talking about this detailed minutia of virology. So I actually became friends with uh, Robert, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, he called me up and it was a really interesting conversation. He said, you know, I, I heard that uh, you're from Ecoth Alliance, you worked in all these places. Um, I, I hear that you're getting harassed by the CIA. Uh, my family and I have really interesting history with the CIA. And it, it, it blew my mind. And so he sent me an autographed copy of his book, told me to read it. And, um, you know, he covers everything so well there. I realized they've been bogging everyone down with the detailed technical minutia of virology. So nobody can understand it. I mean, people um, at my level can barely understand a lot of the, the technical detail. It actually takes me some time to read through these virology uh, papers. So what I do in this book is I break it down in layman terms so that a high school student can understand what has happened here. And I firmly believe if we can make every American understand, and you know, I'm an educator, uh, I love teaching, I want everyone to be able to understand, then we can prevent this from ever happening again. And that's really my goal here. It's just incredible, and, and you've got so much courage. But, 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 but what I get from this, at first, you were just trying to be helpful, and then they came after you. And, and describe some of that harassment for folks that don't know what this is like. Yeah, it was really strange. I mean, so the first thing that happens is the military grade quadcopter drones start hovering around my house. And, and I get really freaked out about this. I mean, I live in a remote area and um, my, my driveway is a mile long. I live in the upper peninsula of Michigan. It's one of the most remote areas of lower 48. Everyone, you know, speculates that I moved here to, to run from the deep state. And the reality is I'm still connected to a lot of people in the deep state. I mean, I worked with these people for years. Some of them are great scientists. Not all the bureaucrats are bad. Some are terrible, obviously. Um, so that starts happening. And, um, you know, I go to law enforcement, we call it up, uh, call up the local, uh, sheriff's department, state police, and they verify seeing all these weird drones out here, people out hunting in my neighbor, see all these drones. And, um, 
it, it just continues to escalate. Then I start getting followed, followed by teams of people everywhere I go, complex tailing operations, five to 10 vehicles. And, you know, the, there's a crazy moment that happens, and it's in the book. I think it's around December 12th is a specific date. The U.S. government hovers a Coast Guard helicopter over my house. I snap a picture of it, and I started laughing because at first I thought maybe I'm like, this is, you know, contractors, you know, hired by the Chinese. Or what happens in these situations is that the U.S. government will sometimes work with foreign intelligence agencies to conduct illegal domestic operations. This is well documented. But no, it's actually the U.S. government doing these things. And, you know, I started experiencing hacks on my devices. My wife, um, every, we started experiencing these hacks probably at a rate of every two weeks. So I'm spending a, a fair amount of time just trying to keep a, a computer, you know, a network operational, devices operational. They try to delete and wipe all my EcoHealth Alliance records, which I just posted on Twitter. I saved it for this big moment so I could release those today. Uh, so your audience should go check those out and download those if they want to see the original, the ties to the Rockefeller Foundation, the Google Foundation, uh, Welcome Trust. Um, I mean, it's just some really damning stuff. Metabiota, which has ties to Hunter Biden. And, so, and I mean, please, I guess everybody on radio, tell people your Twitter address. Uh, A-G-H-U-F-F, A-G-Huff. A-G-Huff, there it is. And let's scroll through that there and show viewers. This is incredible. Please continue. So, you know, it, it continues to escalate. So I, I finally realized that my only way out of this, because I, I actually really feared for my life, I didn't know whether or not they were going to try to put a hit on me. Um it's just hard to know because you can't figure it out. So I'm contacted and approached by a number of people. Some are probably um, intelligence assets. Actually, some of them I identify, you know, so I can trace some of this back to the FBI, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the Department of Homeland Security. I mean, alphabet soup of uh, agencies they went to, and they actually actually partnered up with the Michigan State Police. Um, it, fast forwarding through this story, that harassment just continued to escalate. They actually backdoored my security system on my house, and I figured out how they did it. It was a closed system. I put it in after all this harassment started happening they dumped they did some real petty stuff they dumped acid in my wood boiler i had a new um high efficiency wood boiler installed they dumped acid in the tank stay there this is the incredible and then let's come back and talk about what it is you discovered and how you've reverse engineered what really happened this is incredible we got to get you back again too wow because we need to really promote this this is huge we'll be right back i am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the american people we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means, on infiltration instead of invasion. You have all the money in the world. You have all the power you need. What's the point? What's the end goal? Like I said, the end goal is to get a ship to control the whole society. Body in the garden. Little bus I was in the garden just having a laugh. 
frontal assault on the lies of the new world order it's alex jones from the front lines of the information war it's alex jones well we have the former vice president and the head of their operations dr andrew huff on this is the whistleblower of whistleblowers, and so much of the intel we got the last two and a half years came from him, but he was behind the scenes and went through incredible harassment. Now, he's got a book that is now out, The Truth About Wuhan, from Skyhorse, destined to be a bestseller, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History, Dr. Andrew G. Huff, former EcoHealth Alliance Vice President and Senior Scientist. This is the guy that sent the documented reports to the Senate committees this is the guy that got massively harassed for it and now he is standing tall fighting harder than ever see we're finishing up with the harassment then let's get into what they don't want us to know how you reverse engineered this uh working in these labs what you know they really did and where this is all going doctor well i didn't reverse engineer anything and that's that's the whole stupidity of this um situation you're in and this is what the book looks like for the people who want to buy it nice and shiny um you know, and it's sad that it got to this point. So the 
there are a number of peer-reviewed publications that came out recently that look at this from like a Bayesian or statistical approach, which say, what's the probability of this occurring in nature? And there is no chance, it's highly improbable, it's one in the billions that this would this could emerge uh, from nature. Now, if you go back, then you look at some of the other publications that came out over the, the past year, really, since you know they started clamping down on me. So the, the funny part here is if they would have let me come forward um, a year ago, this story wouldn't have been as big because other scientists who did some great work proved that uh, certain aspects of the genetics of the SARS-CoV-2 virus had been patented by the likes of Moderna, NIH, and Dr. Ralph Barrick. So think about this. They go out and they surveil and they look at, scientists look at the disease that's circulating the, the planet, okay, after it emerges, and then they look at the genetics of it using some, something called BLAST. And then they find perfect matches to specific sequences that have also been patented back in 2015, 2014. And that tells you everything right there. It shows that the agent, SARS-CoV-2, and the, um, the medical countermeasure, the vaccine, were co-developed together. And that's typically what happens um, in bioweapons programs. I get that question a lot. So they're, they're like, you know, people ask me, is, is this a bioweapon? Well, not in the traditional sense. So when, when you want to use a bioweapon, if you're a state-sponsored actor or military, you want to use it to knock out, debilitate your enemy. And, you know, if this is a bioweapon, it's not a very good one, but it could be used for a new type of asymmetrical warfare, where it could be used to stoke fear, like in terrorism, um, or economically. Um, I don't believe that- It can be used as the pretext for lockdowns and the, the Great Reset. Exactly. And, and why that's so interesting is that, you know, people come to me like, oh, this is all a big part of the master plan. Well, um, maybe some people ha had this as part of their master plan, but I don't think all the players were on board. And that's why they have this event 201. Um, you know, one thing I talk about in the, the book is that the epidemiology of this disease is clear. This, this infectious disease emerged in late August or early September of 2019. That was months before the U.S. government told everyone what was going on here. Um, and I didn't do that work. Other scientists did that work. But I went and looked at it. It's excellent. And it was replicated. And other people independently did different studies, which were correlated or validated the other pe people's work. So this is all rock-solid scientists that had been done by science, by the by the global community. So you know, a lot of scientists, you know, we weren't all bad. Some of us really did the right thing. Now, so give us the bottom line then. I mean, obviously, it was made of a composite, a chimeric virus of a bunch of already patented strains. They've been lying about it. Senator Paul's on it. He's got your information. Uh, what do we need to know about this and where this is going? Well, I don't know where it's going. I, hopefully, you know, I'm sending, you know, hopefully what happens is we're sending Dr. Anthony Fauci to prison. Hopefully we send Dr. Ralph Barrett to prison. I hope we send Dr. Dasik to prison because that's where they all deserve to be. I mean, this is the big, biggest, um, biggest scam uh, travesty that's ever happened to humanity. And I can understand why the Chinese government, the Communist Party, and the U.S. government tried to cover this up because it's terrible. But if you went to have these key people making stupid decisions um, one after another just to fuel their own greed, we wouldn't have millions of deaths around the planet. We wouldn't have had these lockdowns. And, and the fact that our governments then go along with, with these globalist-type people like the World Economic Foundation, uh, Klaus Schwab, the, the, these, these maniacs, I mean, it's just insane. The, the whole premise of our freedoms being restricted and taken away um, to pre prevent this disease 
uh, from spreading was ridiculous. And this is why I signed the, the Great Barrington Declaration early on. You know, I actually helped work on some of the national pandemic uh, preparedness plans for different agencies. And they talked about lockdowns. We actually model, modeled and simulate these to see when you use them. And, it, and actually, it does make sense. When they first came out and said, we need to lock down for two weeks, that, that was actually part of the plan. But when they said, we need to lock down for another 30 days, we need to lock down for another 60 days, we need to keep extending the, these emergency relief acts, it's all nonsense. And really what they've done is they've created a whole biomedical uh, military industrial complex around this gain of function work, which is nonsense, and the medical co countermeasure of a vaccine that doesn't work. And, and to show you how, like, you know, to explain this to your audience, how I've come along and how I evolved, when this first came out, I was pro uh, mRNA jabs. I said, everyone should go and get this, you know, I trust the government. And then I started to see the histopathology data, the, the pathology reports coming out. And then that added with the fact that, and I read the clinical trial reports of the tests that, that they conducted, and it was clear that the jabs were not preventing transmission. In fact, they were causing the new variants to emerge. So the more you jab people, the more variants you get. Then you get to the point where you realize, okay, well, this is having no impact. It looks like it has it, it's having no impact on the burden of disease. And, you know, it might actually be hurting people. There's no informed consent. So here we are, the government or our government is still recommending this, this poison to people. It doesn't make sense to me. And the problem, it's a slippery slope. You know, you go as a scientist like me, I work for the government for a number of years. Everyone thinks I'm deep state. Fine. I'm deep state. But they violated my trust, too. And through that process, I now question everything that they tell me. You know, what can you believe from these people? And a simple fact that I like to, to point out to um, the naysayers, you know, on, on Twitter about this is that the vast majority of scientific research in medicine and psychology cannot be replicated. They call it the replication crisis. And there's a reason for that. If it can't be replicated, it's, it's not valid. But they don't want you to know that. The government doesn't pay to, to replicate studies. And this problem is, has been going on for years. And now they're just pushing this, this product on people to basically keep a new economy going. Well, that's right. And when we ended the last segment with, with the harassment, with them breaking into your new um, security system, finish up with the harassment. Has the, has the harassment stopped now because it didn't work or what's happening? Well, yeah, I mean, basically I beat these guys. I mean, the, the, the height of it is I actually got in a gunfight with these guys on my property. I reported to the Michigan State Police. Nobody showed up. There's witnesses to this, my neighbors, my wife. It was a prolonged engagement. That's what we call it in the military. It was an hour well, long well, well, I mean, describe that story. Tell us about that. I well, it, it was simple. So I, I was sitting in my house, actually in the, in the room next door, and there was a man hiding in the bushes who was armed, operating a small drone around my house. Well, who cares about the small drone? But I have an armed guy trespassing on my property. So I did what any American would do. Um, out in a rural area, this is a standard ground state. I grabbed my firearms and I went after him. I called the police first. I told them there was an armed trespasser on my property. When I went after him, they shot at me. Turned, he turned Actually, he turned at me with a firearm in, in his pocket, and that's when I started to shoot at him. And then they started to return fire back across the swamp. I own 200 acres in a remote area. Um, you know, the whole thing is... Which is a lesson to everybody. Place. You fired back at the real... You know, people say, oh, you work for the deep state. Yeah, we should be ready to have defectors back to America who were never bad and wake up and tell the truth. We, the, 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 the key to bringing them down is going to be people like you and Edward Snowden. It's going to be insiders. So when you finally shot back at them, they went away after that. They ran away, and they actually... I had them pinned down so bad... This gentleman uh, deployed what's known as a tactical rescue beacon. I hadn't seen one of these things in the military, and I laughed. Well, I mean, I was so happy that, it, that I was had on top of this guy, but this guy actually deployed something in, into the sky that made a, a, a sonic noise and emitted 
I'm guessing other technology to rescue vehicles would come to his location. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The rescue vehicles actually came down to the front of my driveway, I have a long, mile long driveway, and they're waiting to pick this person up. When I came back, I had my wife call the sheriff's department again to find out where the heck they were. Um, I reloaded, I went back to the point where I thought this person was escaping, and um, the, the sheriff's department actually went by my driveway with their sirens on at about 100 miles an hour, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just shocked. And I, I did an interview with uh, Majid Nawaz after this sh uh, shortly happened with my wife, who's a, a professor at Michigan State University. I mean, and she was a first-hand witness to all this. And no, no, I hear you. Just stay there. It's just incredible what they do. Their intimidation backfired. You are the foil. You are the fake. 40 years later, still on the take. Funny how time hasn't tarnished your name. Maybe you're finally out of the game. You are the shyster, you are the shill, running your racket on Capitol Hill. You are the sentinel, you are the science of an immense and unholy alliance. You are the hero in your own book. You could be Nero, you could be Hook, you could be someone but not anymore. Now you're the world's biggest industry. So fall on your sword, Mr. Fauci. Dare say you won't be missed. Another ruthless thug will surely take your place. But at least we'll never have to see your smug and smiling face again and again, Mr. Fauci. Dishonor, dissemble, and twist. History will airbrush your sordid lies But deep inside I think you know it's time to say goodbye We are the workers, we are the bees is still bad. <laughs> Cross-pollinating, spreading disease Dreaming our dreams in a terrible mess You are the doctor You think you know We are the people, the petulant masses, you fill us with pills, you spray us with gases, inject us with fear in a media blitz, scaring and selling us out of our wits, selling us out to a ravenous power, while Kissinger laughs in his ivory tower, a killer, a thief, and a consummate liar, I'm here to set those lace panties on a fire. So fall on your sword, Dr. Fauci. It's time to 
A frontal assault on the lies of the New World Order. It's Alex Jones. Final segment with our special guest and then loaded phones, your calls, one after the other in the third hour. Dr. Andrew Huff, The Truth About Wuhan. We're going to tape a special hour-long commercial-free show this Saturday at noon. We'll air about 2 o'clock or so because I want to add a bunch of documents and clips to it, but that'll be out Saturday, but we're live right now. The book, The Truth About Wuhan, available on Amazon.com, Skyhorse Publishing, you name it. And everything he's saying is documented. He was the vice president of EcoHealth Alliance. He did release all this info that turned out to be very accurate. And now he's got this book coming out that's going to be a bestseller. Incredible. In the nine, eight, nine and a half minutes we have left here, you go through a lot of stuff in the book here about what were the potential goals of the program, uh, how does it help the globalist agenda, uh, the gain of function. As you pointed out earlier, the asinineness of Fauci uh, with two attorney generals, Louisiana and Missouri, uh, within a seven-hour deposition, he doesn't know who his best friends are for 30, 40 years and the heads of people he runs projects with. It, it'd be like Obama saying he doesn't know who Joe Biden is or Batman saying he doesn't know who Robin is. I mean, this is crazy. Oh, it's absolutely crazy. But I, I think what's going to happen here in the, in the near future, I, I believe and I hope that Congress fully investigates. You should question everything that I'm saying. And I, I like that type of scrutiny. Um, we should be questioning. This is a big deal. My allegations, when I said are, are um, you know, they're, they're inflammatory. They're, it's massive in terms of the type of impact I could have on geopolitical relations. Go ahead, question everything that, that I'm saying. But when, you're, when I'm proven to be right about all these things, and I continue to be proven right, um, we need to hold these people accountable. Um, this whole idea that we're doing gain-of-function work, where we're en enhancing the virulence, the pathogenicity, the infectivity, we're making so this stuff can, uh, these diseases can survive longer in the environment, uh, increasing their environmental persistence, it's nonsense. I mean, to evolve an agent to 150,000 years into the future, and then make a vaccine, which isn't a vaccine, you know, the mRNA platform to treat these, these Frankenstein diseases that we create makes no sense. It's a huge waste of taxpayer money. And because we created this, this massive economy, we have to do something to stop it. And otherwise, my fear is this is just going to continue uh, into the future. It's going to be another reason to, uh, to oppress um, humans around the, the planet, actually, this is a global fight. I mean, this isn't just an American one. The, the same fight that's happening here, and I think you're showing clips of, uh, of it er earlier, uh, that the same thing is happening in China. I mean, people in China are, are standing up against the, the Communist Party and what's going on. I mean, the one funny, funny thing here I like to point out to people, and, and people will think you know, this will just make perfect sense. When this disease breaks out in China, do you really believe that the only city 
that has this disease as Wuhan. But the only the only information that the Chinese government are putting out, it's, well, we have this contained in Wuhan, we locked down Wuhan, the disease isn't going to spread. I mean, that, that's insane. It's going around the rest of the planet, but, you know, Wuhan's the only place. Well, obviously, has, has they're COVID. training people for a global social credit score, the red code, the green, yellow code, the, the green code, telling everybody to randomly stay in their house over 100 days. That doesn't stop a virus locking you in 130 days in a high rise when the virus only lasts a few weeks or whatever. I mean, it, 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 it's all so incredibly obvious that it's a giant exercise of power. Yes, power and, and grab for money. If you look at the, these organizations, uh, the WEF and some of, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, even though they're not directly tied in my story, they're all around it. You, you ask them, well, what do these people have to gain from, from what's happening? And they're, they want to create, in my opinion, it, it feels like they want to create a world that's good for them to live in, where we have to then change the way that we live so they can have their lifestyle. Um, That's right. Well, we stayed locked down so they can go out and enjoy themselves. I mean, look at this video of the Pied Piper just came out today in China of one medical tyranny worker leading thousands of people to a camp who came up red code. I mean, this is all just an exercise in total control. Oh, absolutely. And it, it makes you wonder, could that kind of thing ever happen in the United States? And the worst fear is that that kind of thing could become a reality, but it won't as long as people stand up and fight. And that's what I encourage all of your audience to do. And, and not just, you know, actually fight. And not, I'm not talking about guns here, but you also have to be politically active. You know, people always say, well, I'm not going to get a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, traction with my congressman, who am I or my senator. But, you know, when they get inundated with letters, phone calls, you show up to rallies and, and um, or they're they're the places that they're appearing and talking and you get loud and vocal, they hear you and, you, and they're terrified of, of not. No, I totally agree with you. By the way, they should make a Hollywood movie about you because it's all on record. This happened and you finally, you know, they brandish a gun, you start shooting at them, they run. And so what the harassment stopped after you did that. Well, a couple of things happened. So I started working with Tom Renz. Tom Renz files a billion dollar lawsuit against these clowns. Uh, Equal Health Alliance, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Ralph Barrick. Um, there's a thousand does listed. And what that means is we can expand the case out to anyone that is brought in through uh, depositions or testimony. And that's what we, we plan to do. We hopefully get to people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and the people behind these people. Um, that's really our goal here. Um, so when that lawsuit was filed, and a couple other things happened. Um, I caught the Michigan State Police trespassing on my property with who I believe to be the FBI. Uh, they were pointing what's called a long-range acoustic device at my house, and I caught them red-handed. But who do I have to call? You know, who, who's going investi to investigate the state police and the FBI trespassing on my property? Uh, you know, playing loud, annoyed, annoying, no yeah. uh, noises. How's that my for house. the Jamaica folks? I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. And, and how how petty the whole thing was. Well, they did and the same thing as the Branch Davidians. They were trying to make you crack up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the whole funny thing is I actually thought that was part of, part of their playbook just by, uh, you know, I'm not a super religious guy, but I, I, there's a few times where I prayed in my life and one was in combat in Iraq, made it out of that alive. And another, another time was through this, um, through this craziness. And I came to the conclusion, like, maybe they're trying to make me look crazy. Um, just by a twist of fate, uh, the local VA medical center here um, happened to have my psychologist working there that I saw at the VA when I was a young man, when I, I had pretty bad PTSD when I first got back from Iraq. I saw him for a number of years, made great progress, and uh, he had been promoted up to the, the chief of uh, counseling or psychiatry at my local hosp hospital. So I gave him a call up. I went down there and saw him. And um, Dr. Strom, I asked him, like, will you write, write a letter saying that I'm not crazy? And after I told him this whole story uh, to him, he's like, I believe everything you're saying.
he wrote me the letter. I've actually posted this to Twitter too, because I've been completely open on this. And then I sent a copy of this letter off to the Michigan State Police and the FBI, um, along with the lawsuit being filed and it, it all stopped. Oh, beautiful. You're, you're a real hero, brother, and we appreciate you. And it's good people that have been in the government like you and these private corporate systems coming forward. They're going to stop this. Dead in its tracks. I can't wait till Saturday. We'll tape for an hour, commercial-free. You'll you'll be able to go over all the exhibits. Anything you send us, we'll, 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 we'll put it up there because there's so much your story you haven't had a chance to tell yet here today. The truth about Wuhan, how I uncovered the biggest lie in history. Dr. Andrew G. Huff, I'm going to buy a bunch of the books from Skyhorse because we also sell my book published by them, The Great Reset and the War for the World at InfoWarsTore.com. We're going to sell your book. I can't wait to read it, and I can't wait some time for you to come to town. Listen, Joe Rogan's known him 25 years, good friend of mine. He has a pet peeve, though. He doesn't like me recommending guests to him or anybody else doing it, though I did get Dr. Peter McCullough on and a bunch of other guests. I hooked up with Joe. So I'm going to break my rule. Um, let me get your number and info to the producer. Charles, get in there, mate. Over in an hour after I take calls, Charles. I'm going to call Joe and say, you got to get this guy on. Only thing you got to do, though, is when you come to Austin, come in studio with us. But I'm going to uh, call Joe Rogan today and say, uh, hey, buddy, you need to check this out. Incredible job. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So that's a big deal. That's a real deal. All right. Um, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Look, um, lawsuits, everything. Um, let's get it on. Let's get it on. There's, no, there's nothing else we can do. All right, um, I'm going to dip out. I will just um, remind everyone, please, uh, keep the lights on in the dojo. We might we might not be in gunfights yet, but um, we're doing our best. And uh, hopefully later today, uh, we'll do a stream with uh, Charles. I don't know how my uh, body clock's going to do. I wasn't expecting to stream so long. So, um, just... Wow, I don't know what to say. Gunfights? Holy fuck. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. Take care, guys. God bless. I will see you. I'll see you in the next one. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do. I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these papers. I will fucking kill each fucking kappa. I swear. <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually saying. Fuck these kappas. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever drugs in my fucking blood blood. All that fire. I like this guy. Send 10.45,000 to turn dead. Let up! 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 Let